Blog Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Good evening, everyone. I'm your featured host, Shaw McCain, on the Blog Talk Radio. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I'd like to thank Tucker Smallwood for the intro to the show. We really, really, really appreciate it. And during the show, I can take questions in order in chat, and that you may call in with your question and talk with our guest tonight. Any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone? will be kicked out, and I have a copy of your phone number and your information, and I'll call you back and I'll bug you. So please play nice and be polite, and everything will be fine. I'll just make a few announcements. Uh, this Sunday, May 25th, is the CRO Zero meeting at our Huntington Beach location, so I'll see you there. Otherwise, it's a secret. I can't tell you anymore. Anyway, see you guys there. And May 31st in Culver City, Serial International presents Steve Allen, eyewitness and researcher of the Steerville Lights, and he'll be speaking. It's at 6, 7 p.m. Uh, to 10.30 p.m. at the Veterans Memorial Complex, and the address is 4117 Overland Avenue, Culver City, California, 90230, and it's next to Sunny Studios out that way. And you can go to the website and... Um, you can actually pay through the website or you can pay at the door. It's $15. And you can go to, for more information, go to www.cerointernational.com. And next week we have a very special guest. Her name is Andrea Perone, and whose life uh, was told in the movie, uh, the recent movie Conjuring. And uh, Conjuring depicts the 18th century farmhouse in Rhode Island where Roger and Carolyn Perone. Uh, and their five daughters allegedly were terrified and possessed by spirits. It was pretty horrifying. I saw it. Uh, it was an excellent movie. Anyway, Andrea Perone, the oldest of the five Perone girls, um, is now 54, and she's actually uh, going to be uh, with us next Friday, our special guest. And uh, actually with me tonight is my special co-host, um, Adrian. And I'm going to see if he's on the line, so thank you very much. Adrian, are you there? Adrian? I don't know if you can hear me yet. Yeah, Adrian is there. Hi, Adrian. Hi, I guess there's phone issues. I could hear you. Okay, good. How are you doing tonight? Can you hear tonight? me? Yeah. Okay, I got booted off earlier, too, when I tried. <laughs> Some, oh, I guess really? Just a, okay. A lot of traffic. Well, you know, yeah, it's a lot of traffic and blog talk, probably around this hour. 
and uh, you know sometimes it gets a little overwhelmed. I think. And Adrian, um, I, I want to thank you once again for being our co-host tonight. Thank you. It's an honor. It's always a pleasure and an honor and, and great fun to be on the show. Thanks, sir. Yes, and uh, we have a very interesting guest tonight, and I'm going to call him in in uh, just a minute. Um, um, Adrian, uh, could you tell the listeners about what, who you are, what you do, a little bit about your background, the ones that are tuning in for the first time tonight? I'm. My name is Adrian Rudnick. I'm I'm into ufology, of course. I have a website called ufophilosopher.com. My specialty in ufology is uh, many people specialize in certain areas in ufology. I specialize in philosophy, so I tend to look at um, ufology from a philosophical perspective. I have an MA and BA in philosophy. If you want more information about me, please check out my website. Cool. Um, It's an honor to have you once again. And then... Uh, we're going to call in uh, tonight's guest. Now, uh, do you know how, Chris, which uh, I cannot pronounce it. Chris Wachowski. Wachowski? Yeah. <laughs> he's from Canada, and he's a, a science writer, an astronomer, and uh, a very fascinating guy, and he comes very highly regarded, and it's uh, very exciting to uh, have him on the show tonight. And I'm going to... Uh, Call him in right now. Uh, let's see here. So always, you know, I always get like nervous when I'm going to call somebody in because I never know the science of it all if it'll really work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How could this work? Not only is the radio, it's a radio, but then I can call people. Okay, let's see here. So it's a live show, you never listening. know. Yeah, you never know if it's really going to work or not. So, Chris, I'm calling you right now if you're listening. You gotta be careful because uh, since it's digital, don't put in the wrong number because that'll mean, uh, you know, it'll be in some kind of weird loop somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm doing this right. Hello. Hi, is this Chris? Yes, it is. Hello, this is the Paranormal Sacred Radio Show. You're live with uh, Charlene McCain and Adrian Rudnick. Well, hello. Hey, hello. we're on here. We're on hey, air. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're really we're actually online. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to do your introduction because I want to, to tell people you just just have a such a wide range of interests, Chris, and. Um, it's really an honor to have you on. And now, Chris is a Canadian uh, science writer and educator. Since the mid-1970s, he's written about his investigations and research on UFOs, for which he is best known. However, he has been involved in many other writing and media projects for more than 30 years, including TV specials, The Monster of Lake Manitoba, planetarium shows, Moonlight Serenade, and Amateur Nights, and the newspaper columns, Strange Tales in the Northern Times, and uh, he has nine published books on UFOs and related issues, a collection of short stories, and has contri- con- contributed to many other volumes, both fiction and nonfiction. His recent works include A World of UFOs, I Saw It Too, and The Big Book of UFOs. And um, in addition, you have a book, you're a book reviewer for the Winnipeg Free Press, which often appears on TV, radio, and you teach courses and writing, and currently the president of the Manitoba Writers Guild. 
So welcome. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I'd like to meet that guy. Sounds really neat. I know. <laughs> Sounds like a really neat guy. Uh, I just, you know, this subject is, um, uh, you know, just so far-reaching, and uh, you could go any way with it. And you have taken really uh, a scholarly approach with the sense of humor, which I really appreciate, Chris. Well, thank you, and I just want to say that uh, thank you for having me on here, and uh, uh, I, I've been looking forward to speaking with both of you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, could, uh, Chris, could you give us uh, some of your background, you know, where you were born and grew up, and a little bit about sure. your you know, beginnings? <laughs> well, there was this big ball of gas and dust that started rotating somewhere in our galaxy. Oh, wait a minute, not that far back. That far um, <laughs> Maybe a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit past that. Okay. Well, actually, I was born and raised in a city called Winnipeg, which is uh, uh, just north of that little bump on Minnesota, at the top of Minnesota, uh, about uh, I guess maybe uh, 75 miles from the American border. And uh, um, Canada uh, has had a very rich history of all types of phenomena. Uh, from uh, uh, UFOs to ghosts to lake monsters and, of course, Sasquatch and all that great stuff. And uh, I uh, grew up, um, I actually am dating myself that um, I, uh, uh, back in the 1970s is when I started actually investigating UFOs. And the reason I started doing that is I was in high school and there was a big flap or wave of UFOs uh, up here in Canada and uh, I was just curious about what was going on, and I, was, uh, I went from high school right into university, and I went right starting for my astronomy degree. And my astronomy professors uh, were not that all interested in UFOs. In fact, they thought that UFOs were nonsense, and they couldn't be bothered with it. And yet, because there was this UFO flap going on, they kept getting phone calls in the astronomy office uh, at the university, uh, from people who wanted to report UFOs. And they were getting a little annoyed, but I was sort of curious, and I wanted to, to suck up to the profs really good. So I said, you know what, I'll take the phone calls. You just, you know, I'll be in the department working or doing some homework or something. Just call me, and I'll take the phone calls, and I'll, I'll, you know, so that you don't have to worry about it. And so I started actually taking phone calls from people who had been seeing UFOs, and by golly, I, I found that they didn't seem as crazy as my professors uh, seemed to think. The people actually seemed to be fairly normal individuals, at least as normal as you know the three of us. This, if, you know, well, maybe it's not a great example because mm-hmm. of me, but um, uh, but you know, it's just a matter of people had seen some very unusual things, and in a lot of cases, I could figure out that maybe they had seen some planes or satellites or something. Uh, but there were cases that I couldn't explain. And uh, it was about a year later, after you know taking quite a few phone calls and and being puzzled, and actually I was going out and I uh, would go into the countryside and interview people and and found that they were you know quite nice farmers for the most part who who just had seen some unusual things. And at one point, uh, I had a uh, a request. A little note was passed to me from the head of the physics department saying, uh, you know, they had an opening or a cancellation for a Friday afternoon physics seminar, and that was sort of the usual thing. Once a week, they would have a seminar on something, and they couldn't come up with a topic, and they said, oh, that Chris Rakowski, he's been, 
you know, looking at the UFO things, why not, you know, invite him to tell us what he's heard, sort of as a joke? And uh, I said, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll take up the challenge. And I started preparing my, uh, my notes for a seminar, and there's usually maybe about 15 or 20 people in the seminar. And word got around the entire university that there was going to be a seminar about UFOs. And um, the day before the seminar, uh, the head of the department came to me and said, well, we're going to have to move your seminar. Uh, it's not going to be 20 or 30 people uh, we have to move you into the largest lecture hall in, in the entire campus because several hundred people have signed up to come and hear you. And uh, I found myself the next day talking about UFOs to an entire uh, a huge seminar in physics to you know professors and students and academics and, and lay people. And some media showed up too. So I, I suddenly found myself uh, as uh, the expert in Manitoba uh, to talk about UFOs, and um, not long after that, oddly enough, uh, J. Allen Hynek, who was the um, sort of the, the grandfather of all ufology, he wrote some of the classic books about uh, UFO investigation. He actually worked for the Project Blue Book and all that sort of stuff. He founded the Center for UFO Studies. He came up to Canada wanting to found a Canadian chapter of the Canadian uh, the Center for UFO Studies. Oh, wow. And uh, he, he asked me if I could uh, help with that. And uh, uh, after that, I sort of, you know, my rep <laughs> expanded, and I found myself being asked more and more to talk and give presentations. And then soon I was asked to, you know, why don't you write a book about it? And uh, it sort of expanded from there to the point where um, I guess I'm one of, one of the more well-known uh, uh, people in Canada who are actually doing some investigations and uh, research. That's very cool. Um, so, did the did that chapter start out in Canada, the the Canadian version of the Center for UFO Studies? Uh, actually, um, the uh, the Center for UFO Studies never did start a Canadian chapter. We just sort of became a you know a member of the the Center for UFO Studies itself, and uh, I actually hosted uh, Alan Hynek and his family up here in Canada. A few times when they came up to visit, he stayed at my place. And over the years, you know, Stan Friedman has come by, and we've become good friends. And uh, uh, just a lot of a lot of individuals who uh, are really intensely studying uh, uh, UFOs. I went on to get my bachelor's uh, degree in science, and then later my master's degree in education, specializing in astronomy. Uh, and all along, you know, retaining a fascination with. Uh, with what people are reporting as UFOs, and uh, continuing to be, uh, you know, just uh, uh, curious about the entire phenomenon. So uh, that's that's kind of where that came from. But what's bizarre is along the way, uh, I also started investigating, well, ghost stories, uh, uh, cases of ESP, paranormal hauntings, Sasquatch, lake monsters. I guess what happens is that people came to me and saying, you know, I actually didn't see a UFO, but, you know, darn if I had to, you know, I thought I saw a ghost the other night, or, you know, I, I was out fishing uh, on uh, on this particular lake, uh, I'm a master angler, and I swear I saw this lake monster with a couple of humps uh, swimming by. <laughs> you know, I, I started getting all all kinds of reports, so I guess I'm a true Fortean in, uh, in the sense that Charles Fort collected stories of all different kinds of phenomena. And uh, I remain fascinated, but I do tend to focus mostly on UFOs now because there's just too much. 
there are too many reports of all different kinds to to possibly investigate everything. I noticed that right, you yeah. on your reports and stuff, um, you, and I like the distinction. You, you make the distinction between unknowns and unexplained. Can you tell for the audience your definition when you talk about UFO that you'd break it up in those two categories? What is an unexplained and what is an unknown? Well, you know, um, every year, and, and I, we started doing this in about, I guess it was 1989, in the late 80s, I realized I, I wanted to know how prevalent UFOs were in all of Canada. I mean, I mean, are there more uh, in the West Coast and versus the East Coast, the North or the South? Uh, what time of day or what colors are being seen? I just realized there wasn't really enough data uh, available for that. And, of course, uh, trying to look at it from a scientific point of view, I was curious, you know, what, what exactly was going on? I've heard lots of stories. I would see things on TV and read the magazines and see the newspaper articles, but that wasn't really giving me a, a great picture of, of what people really were seeing um, as a whole. So I contacted my colleagues uh, across the country and said, uh, you know, would you like to help a research project? And we'll, we'll sort of combine our efforts and, um, you know, people in uh, the West Coast, uh, you know, can send me their the case data and I'll put them into the report. People from the East Coast, I'll look, look at the stuff in the center and uh, we'll see exactly what's being seen throughout the entire country. And I had you know, reasonable cooperation from some, uh, some groups, and uh, the first year, I think, 89, we found maybe about 150 cases in Canada that had been officially reported. Uh, the second year, it went up uh, from there, and it kept on rising to the point where we've been collecting UFO data in Canada now for 25 years, uh, and last year, there were uh, uh, more than 1,100, almost 1,200 UFO reports filed in Canada uh, for the one year of 2013. And of those, you know, we are able to explain a certain number. Uh, some we can't get enough information about to decide whether it was a, you know, uh, you know, uh, an airplane or, or or star or whatever. And then there's cases that we simply can't explain. Uh, um, we just have to say, we, judging from the data that we have, we have to consider those unexplained. And then what we do is we go in and we we look at the uh, the percentages of, of the unexplained, and those are somewhere around between five, ten, fifteen percent every year. Um, and we decide, you know, which one are the high quality unknowns? Which are the ones that, you know, even if we stretch our imaginations a little bit, uh, can't be explained as aircraft and stars and, and satellites and so forth. And uh, those are a, a fairly small proportion with a, of the order of about, you know, 1, 2, or 3% every year. But when you're looking at 1,100 cases a year, and we're doing this for 25 years, in fact, uh, we're just in the process of putting together a report on the 25 years, um, about 14,000 UFO reports. Uh, that number is not insignificant. We're talking about... Uh, uh, dozens and dozens and uh, maybe a few hundred of cases which are very, very strange that people have reported uh, that uh, sort of make us scratch our heads and wonder what's going on. And it's not just you know, the average person on the street. Uh, we actually get reports from pilots, uh, from military personnel, um, reports that come through official channels, um, from uh, 
air traffic controllers. So we get a, a really good cross-section of uh, UFO reports from coast to coast every year. So we think we have a fairly good handle on, on what it is that people are seeing, and I think there's a, a real phenomenon that science should be taking a closer look. I mean, everybody I knows here in, a, in a USA, we know about, you know, the Stephenville case, the O'Hara case of 2006, the 1997 case of so-called Phoenix Lights, and we've got all big cases, and a lot of people seem to be familiar with them. As far as the international scene, it's like, okay, we know the Westall case of 1996 in Australia and maybe the Rendlesham in, uh, in England, but um, given your in-depth research in Canada, I'm sure there must be just fascinating cases that... Um, people from our perspective, our meaning here in the U.S., aren't aware of, and, and does that frustrate you? I mean, point some of the really interesting cases that probably we're not even aware of that we should be. Do you, are there any that come to mind? Oh, absolutely. There's some uh, really incredible cases that uh, are probably some of the, the best ones uh, anywhere in the world uh, happen up here in Canada. Uh, one of the things is we're actually able to find out more information about UFOs here in Canada than in the United States. And the reason that is, is that uh, unlike in the States, um, uh, where you know, we, just, we have simply no idea what is actually being reported through official channels, um, since about the year 2000, well, actually, I'll go back further than that, um, back, um, back into the uh, 1960s or so, um, uh, the, uh, there's a body called the National Research Council of Canada, which is sort of the equivalent of the Smithsonian Institution in the States. And uh, the National Research Council was doing a study on meteorites. And uh, they realized one of the things that's really important is uh, trying to find meteorites that, uh, you know, that fall to the ground because the, the rocks themselves are very valuable. And how do you find a fresh meteorite? Well, you get reports of people who have seen meteors, uh, and uh, if you have enough reports uh, of the same meteor, you can find out, triangulate uh, where it may have fallen and find the thing on the ground uh, with metal detectors and so forth. But so meteor, I'm just, excuse me for interjecting, just for those who might not know, and correct me if I'm cor incorrect, so a meteor is something that you see in the sky, but a meteorite is once it's fallen to the ground, is that correct? That's right, yeah, the meteor is the shooting star that everybody will, will see. As a matter of fact, by the time this program is finished tonight, we'll start to see the first meteors uh, in the sky from the new meteor shower that uh, debuts tonight, uh, the Camelopardalis meteor shower, um, which uh, some NASA scientists are saying could be uh, the best meteor shower that humanity has ever seen, up to a 1,000 meteors per hour. So uh, so if it's dark by the time the show's over, take a look. <laughs> but yes, it, it, these are just ordinary shooting stars. They're chunks of comet and other debris that impact the Earth's uh, atmosphere and burn up really, really fast. Some are a little bit larger. Most are just grains of sand, but some turn out to be marble-shaped or marble-sized. Um, some go up baseball-sized and so forth. Uh, you might remember that just a year or so ago, uh, that really big thing in Russia um, shattered windows and injured a lot of people, that, that uh, brilliant fireball. Uh, that was one of the larger ones that was uh, maybe the size of a semi-trailer or so. Um, but uh, some of the smaller ones uh, that you know are still pretty decent, the size of a bucket or a basketball, 
that can really light up the sky. And when they burn up, uh, most are you know smaller than a, a golf ball or so, but the, the, they're actually very valuable to science. So the scientists decided, well, the way to get find these rocks on the ground was they get reports from people reporting shooting stars and fireballs in the sky. And they realized that a lot of UFO reports are reports of fireballs. You know, people see these shooting, these balls of green flame flying through the sky. They report them as UFOs. But the scientists know that many cases turn out to be these very large chunks of, of rock coming into the, uh, the Earth's atmosphere. So they made arrangements with the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, and I guess, you know, most people have this idea of the Mounties and the Redcoats and the Hats and Dudley Do-Right and all that sort of stuff. But they're really kind of the combination in Canada between the FBI and the CIA. Um, and it was their responsibility to, uh, that the scientists charged them with to investigate reports of UFOs and find out which ones were fireballs and which ones were not. The ones that were fireballs were sent to the scientists so they could find the, uh, the chunks of rock eventually. And the ones that were not fireballs, that were something else, uh, were sent into a file in the National Archives of Canada. And, uh, and there they remained. However, they were completely open to the public to take a look at um, all these years. So Canada didn't have this whole UFO cover-up-y thing that... Uh, you know, needing disclosure that we hear so much about. In fact, I've been to the archives many times to look through the files. And what's happened over the past five years or so is that the archives have been getting so many requests for UFO uh, reports and, and people wanting to look at them that they've actually scanned in thousands and thousands of cases and put them all online. And so you can actually go through thousands and thousands of pages of Canadian UFO reports um, and see them for yourselves. Um, and the trouble is that um, back in about 1995 or so, with government cutbacks, they just were not interested in fireballs and UFOs anymore, and so they terminated the program. Uh, but the calls and the letters and emails and whatnot kept coming in, and they you know, didn't know what to do with them. Well, being in touch with the astronomy community, I happened to be in conversation with uh, one of the astronomers uh, in Ottawa, and I said uh, kind of what I did in the 1970s. Well, if you know, want me to take the UFO reports off your hands, I'll, I'll gladly look at them for you. And by golly, uh, in about 2000, I started getting UFO reports from official channels, from pilots, from air traffic controllers, from the general public. Uh, so I guess I'm I'm kind of like the Fox Mulder of Canada in some ways. Kind of like Peter, Peter um, Davenport of Canada. Well, everybody well, Peter Davenport of Canada, I suppose, too, yeah. Do tell us you're, um, you're about one or two cases of just like really... Um, I don't think Asia can hear me. Hello? Yes, Hello. I, was, I was listening to Charlene there. Oh, Did I'm you have sorry. a comment? Okay, okay. Um, go ahead, Adrian. I'll I'll, I'll pitch in the next time. Go ahead. Okay, thank you, Sean. Um, go ahead. I, I'm, if you if you could, um, Chris, I'm really curious. Go ahead. I know I interjected, so I, I apologize about that, and we got distracted. But I, I really am curious about. Give me like a one or two really cool cases that 
we here in America don't know, America meaning the U.S., that we don't know about that we should know about. Right. Well, one that, that is not well known but might be uh, you know, known to some people, uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Remember that show, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Back and the whole thing? Totally. Um, NBC actually flew me down to their set to talk about this uh, one case from Canada from 1967. And um, it happened actually not far from me, again, just a little bit north of Minnesota, uh, where uh, sort of a weekend prospector um, had traveled out of the city into this uh, fairly rugged section of of Canada. And um, he uh, was chipping away at some rock. He had found kind of a, a rich vein of quartz and was hoping to find some silver or gold or something. And around lunchtime, uh, in May of 1967, I think it was the 21st or something like that, so very close to, to today's date, um, yeah, he uh, uh, you know, was distracted by a bunch of geese that had flown up from a little lake sorry, excuse me, that was right near uh, where he was uh, sitting. And uh, he looked around and he was worried that maybe a bear was uh, around, because there are actually a lot of bears around right now at this time of year. And uh, he saw two, you know, without having any other way to describe them, two Hollywood-style flying saucers, like from the day the Earth stood still, descending uh, from the sky. And one descended uh, to the point where it just sort of landed on this rock outcropping not far away from him, not, not more than about, uh, oh, about uh, 50 to 100 feet away from him. Wow. And uh, he was crouching down behind a bush and some rocks, and uh, he watched this thing, and it was br- brilliant red, and it seemed to cool down from red to orange to sort of a, a darker color, and then uh, to a silver, like a metallic silver. Uh, and uh, some brilliant lights were coming out of the top of it. And then a little door opened in the side of it. And he thought that he could hear very, very high-pitched voices coming from inside. Um, and he was trying to figure out what this was because, you know, he actually has a, had a background in uh, military uh, uh, himself. Um, and he was a, a you know, fairly well-educated fellow. And he you know, thought, well, there's no such thing as flying saucers, so I have no idea what this is. But after realizing this thing was sitting right in front of him, he realized, well, it must be some kind of American secret weapon, uh, sort of a vertical takeoff thing. So uh, he got up from where he was hiding, walked over to it, shouting to uh, whoever was inside, saying, okay, Yankee boys, come on out. I'll give you a hand with your broken-down flying machine. (laughs) And the voices stopped. And he realized, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's not American. Um, And he actually was multilingual. He he was born in Europe, and he called out in a number of different other languages to, you know, say, you know, how are you doing in Russia or German and a few others, and uh, no reaction. So he walked right up, poked his head inside this little doorway, and saw a maze of lights like we would describe on a computer right now, and felt his his hand uh, being warm uh, because he had touched the side sort of when he bent down to look inside this this, uh, doorway. He pulled his head out and noticed that his glove had started to melt. It was rubberized because the side of the thing was actually quite hot. All of a sudden, the doorway shut, and uh, the thing took off with a blast of hot gas uh, that came out from a grill in the side of it, setting his clothes on fire, knocking him to the ground, and actually starting some 
pine needles and whatnot smoldering around him, and the thing took off and flew away. Well, he eventually made his way um, uh, back to civilization, uh, staggering all, all along. He was taken to a hospital here in Winnipeg um, where they treated him for second and third degree burns. And um, the case was actually investigated by not only the Canadian Air Force, but the uh, United States Air Force uh, came up to investigate. It's actually included in the, the Blue Book report, uh, and that's sort of the Colorado report. And uh, um, uh, there's never been a proper explanation for for what was seen. In fact, uh, the site itself has been found, um, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's actually not not the same as Canada's Roswell, but you can in fact buy T-shirts, and there's a uh, a horseback uh, ride. Uh, you have to go in on horseback because it's kind of a rugged. Uh, terrain, but uh, you can go on a UFO ride where the tour guide shows you where the UFO landed and so forth. But it's uh, it's quite quite curious. And here's the other thing. Remember, I said that the Canadian documents are quite easy to obtain. There's more than 300 pages of official documents from the Air Force describing the investigation of this particular case. So, uh, in fact. It's better than Roswell because we have uh, the witness who actually saw something, touched something, was burned by something. The site is accessible. We have the documents. We know that this was investigated by the Air Force and the American Air Force and the RCMP and several other agencies, and we have the full documentation. Um, so, I mean, what more do you need? <laughs> wow. Right, and there the is Force- a... Go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. Go there ahead. was a um, was it a, one of the man with the pictures? He's in the hospital bed with burns on his chest. Is this the one? That's the one. Absolutely. Ah, uh, oh, okay. Yes. Do you remember Adrian? It was the one yeah, that I totally he forgot had about the case. Like That's a awesome one. Wow. And and here's the other weird thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, your uh, how many uh, how many degrees of freedom you are. Um, I actually went to school with this guy's son. Oh my God! <laughs> and I, uh, I remember being a—I'm uh, not that old. But I remember being a kid, um, playing with his son, and we came into the house one day, and uh, his mom said, "Oh yeah, he's very, very sick. His dad's very, very sick." Uh, and of course, I wasn't all that interested in UFOs back then, but uh, that just shows you how, uh, you know, how, how close sometimes these things hit home. The son was very they defensive really of him, wasn't he? Because people accused the. The witness of being a liar said, no, my father was, you know, just a very straightforward, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, and he's just not, his imagination doesn't lend himself to these kinds of things, so um, he's not going to sit there and confabulate things like that, correct? And, of course, even better than that, um, part of the investigation was that this fellow went down to the Mayo Clinic uh, in Rochester, uh, where he was given a, not a, just a physical examination, but a full psychiatric examination. And we actually have the medical reports and the psychiatric report. And in the opinion of the Mayo Clinic psychiatrist, uh, this is a fellow who doesn't make up stories. So it's, uh, you know, there's such a wealth of documentation um, that it really boggles the mind. Uh, I mean, if you were looking for for any kind of information about a, a UFO case, I wanted to know what's the best possible circumstance. This would have to rank up there as, as one of the better ones. 
Wow. It is just phenomenal. And uh, I was thinking about another uh, uh, cases where weren't there kids in grade school that saw and drew the same thing and they were, uh, like, frightened by a large UFO? Well, one of the the problems we've always had is we haven't had any additional witnesses to this. And um, one reason that's, that is a problem is because uh, even though it was in a rugged part of Canada, it was only about a, a mile or two away from a, a town. In fact, there's a resort there, and there's a golf course not too far away. Um, and, you know, it, wasn't, it may wasn't a, a big tourist time, but there still would have been people around uh, to see something, especially if this happened around noon, you know, 1230, 1 o'clock, something like that in the afternoon. Um, so it's a puzzle why no one else has seen it. Now, over the years, uh, a few people have come forward uh, stating that they were out there uh, in the, this particular area of Canada about the same time. Um, and uh, they say, you know, one said that they saw it when they were laying in the back of their parents' station wagon. They saw this thing fly overhead as they were driving in the area. Another one said that they saw something move between trees. Uh, the trouble is these were long, long after the event. I mean, this happened in 67, and some of these uh, additional reports came in in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, that's a, quite a long delay for people to have such a vivid memory and, uh, you know, to try and tie them to the same event has been quite a challenge. So uh, if, unfortunately, it still remains a, a single witness uh, UFO case. And then there's one other aspect, is that this fellow had never talked about flying saucers from outer space or aliens. He continually thought it was some sort of American secret weapon, uh, some sort of terrestrial flying machine. But he never talked in terms of aliens. And for me, that actually makes the case quite strong because he wasn't out to make a lot of money. Uh, he wasn't out to, uh, uh, you know, to get his name in books and whatever. In fact, they shied away from publicity for most of their lives. So uh, it's a, a very fascinating case. And, you know, and again, happened just a matter of maybe 75 miles away from the American border in 1967. Wow, that's too bad the case hasn't, I mean, especially the way you describe it, it's even more fascinating that it just hasn't gotten more attention than it deserves. I'm so glad you shared that. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of the, uh, you know, the, the fascinating cases uh, uh, that uh, have gone on here. You've, as you, you've mentioned Shag Harbor, I think, uh, you know, yeah. another case uh, that, uh, that happened in Canada some people may be aware of, but there's so many, uh, many others. In fact, uh, I was actually uh, contacted by National Geographic and um, actually another uh, TV network um, this week uh, for some uh, you know, uh, episodes of TV shows on UFOs that they're preparing for next year. Um, and uh, I did contribute to the one that was on uh, uh, the History Channel um, that was uh, aired this year. Uh, I did a number of episodes of some of the classic cases uh, around the world, but also a few Canadian ones, and uh, some of the ones that are coming up now are, are more focused on, on Canada. Um, but uh, I was you know, trying to d discuss with the, uh, the TV producers some other cases that uh, you know, may be completely unfamiliar uh, to audiences both in Canada and the United States, and there's, uh, there's really... Uh, quite a few uh, really, really bizarre cases. Um, 
there's, a, for example, this one up in the Yukon that you may have heard about of a, of a mothership that was seen in 1996, um, uh, very close to Christmas. And uh, the, the number of people were driving along a highway uh, very far up in the Yukon, very isolated. And uh, uh, they all saw uh, a very, very large object uh, with windows, uh, sort of, you know, the classic mothership uh, from Close Encounters, I suppose, uh, moving very, very slowly and ponderously over the lake and then over the mountains and out of sight. Um, a fellow named Martin Jacek, uh, who was with MUFON for a while and, uh, and uh, is uh, now with another organization, uh, actually went up to the Yukon and spent literally weeks tracking down witnesses who had never spoken to one another before, uh, but he found uh, uh, 30 witnesses, actually more than 30, I think 33 or 34 witnesses, all of the same phenomenon, but at slightly different times, of course, as they moved further along this, this lake, uh, because the thing had progressed down the side of the lake. Uh, and including some people who saw uh, there's a, two uh, cousins who are following one another in two different vehicles on this road. And the cousin in front uh, saw this thing flying over the lake and then over the highway. He stopped his truck, got out, and watched this thing move overhead. And meanwhile, his cousin who was following stopped his, his car a few miles away and saw the thing moving over top of his cousin's uh, truck uh, and then over the mountains and, and out of sight. So it's a, a really interesting case because we have uh, multiple witnesses who didn't know e uh, each other, uh, and it's in a very isolated area. So uh, it's, it's a really bizarre uh, case that was investigated um, uh, quite well, um, there be there was actually a, a discussion among the skeptics and debunkers uh, just over the past couple of years that they think they've explained it um, and nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, folks, um, as an entry of a Russian rocket, which happened to be about the same time. Uh, the trouble is uh, it wouldn't look uh, like an object that was flying directly overhead uh, by one person, and then a person two miles away would see it at an angle. It, it just doesn't work like that. Um, but uh, they did raise some interesting questions about the possibility that some of the witnesses may have seen the Russian rocket reentry, and some of the others may have seen something else. So it's uh, it's an ongoing investigation that, nevertheless, is uh, uh, is very strange. And the the other aspect of this particular case that is quite unique is that it, the, uh, the case was mentioned in the Yukon um, uh, legislature, in other words, in, uh, uh, in the equivalent of uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the Senate, I suppose, um, of the United States. So it was uh, raised and people wanted to know what was being seen, and they submitted papers and case reports for examination by all the politicians and the, Politicians uh, tried to figure out what to do about it. They even held a, a mini conference up in the, the Yukon to discuss it. So, uh, it's the amount of information that's out there and the amount of cases uh, that are really interesting is is quite profound indeed. Can I ask wow. you what this ship looked like? 
was it that one that was like a big monstrous kind of they couldn't figure out the edges it kind of looks kind of archaic well almost. it was pretty well defined it was a uh, it oh, was okay. like um like a chandelier yeah, that's what I'm talking. It was odd. It yeah, was like nothing yeah. it was really quite before. large, very, very large. Something uh, that didn't look like a missile. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it, yeah, it, it didn't look at all like a like a rocket reentry. So, but uh, did it make uh, any sound or anything like that? that the no, no, it wasn't. Didn't make any sound whatsoever. Wow. In fact, there's one report from some of the witnesses. It was a family, and of course, this was right at Christmas time. And it was a family uh, that were looking out uh, of the sky uh, with a big picture window, and uh, all the kids were gathered around looking at, uh, you know, gathered around the Christmas tree. And this thing comes by, and the kids said, hey, there really is a Santa Claus. He's coming by right now. (laughs) 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 That leads us to think, uh, are these stories switching back and forth? Because now they're thinking... That the, the, I've had some people tell me, well, the aliens are angels and vice versa, and and now Santa Claus are interesting, interesting, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> what do you think? Okay, let me ask you, Chris. What is your belief system as long as far as the existence of aliens, and uh, what makes you think this? Well, you know, um, my background in astronomy uh, suggests, and uh, and I, there was a thing in the news uh, just this week about uh, presentations to Congress uh, by some of the the, uh, the astronomers about the existence of life out there. Uh, I, I I agree, uh, there is life out there in the universe. Um, the uh, the statistics alone suggest that there must be. They're finding more and more Earth-like planets. In fact, just a, a week or two ago, they found uh, a planet that is so much like Earth that even has water on it, um, which is very, very unique uh, in the galaxy, by the way. Um, and uh, it's just a matter of time before we find a, one that's really, really close. This one was actually, I don't know, maybe 250 light years away or something like that. So quite, uh, quite a good uh, skip across the pond. But uh, it'll be soon that I'm sure we'll find one that's like Earth and fairly close. Um, and uh, the trouble is that, uh, you know, the stars are pretty far away. In fact, uh, um, when I'm doing some teaching to kids uh, about uh, how far away things are in the uh, in the universe, uh, I get like a, like a little bean or a pea and I place it on a desk. And uh, I say, you know, who here makes model aircraft and model cars and, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, some, some kids put up their hands and say, well, okay, you know that the, the model aircraft that you have that's, you know, a foot long really isn't uh, a real car, but it's, you know, the, the car looks like that. It's just shrunk down a bit. Well, let's shrink our sun down to the size of this little bean or pea. It's on the corner of the desk. Um, just imagine that, you know, all the stars uh, are, are like our sun, exactly the same. And um, you look up in the sky, on a clear night you can see about five or, or 10,000 stars, depending on how, how dark your area is. Um, and some of them are far away and some of them are really close, but, you know, some are really, really close comparatively. So if we have a P, that's our sun, sitting on the corner of the desk, and people who are listening right now, they can just imagine right in front of their computer, there's one on the, on the, uh, the letter K on your keyboard. Um, where is the next nearest P? 
or Beam, uh, where where would you have to you know look for the next nearest one? And uh, it turns out that uh, if you're in Los Angeles, uh, the next nearest P is probably going to be somewhere in either Vegas or or Phoenix, something like that, which is a pretty good hike. And that's the the most near star to you from from Earth. And the stars are generally a lot further away. And in Star Trek and Star Wars, it's very, very easy to zip between stars, but, you know, we just don't have that technology. So it's really tough to get between stars. And, you know, if, even if you assume that it's not the nearest star, but let's say the 50th nearest star, um, that's still quite a good hike. And we simply don't have any technology, not even a glimmer of technology, about how to travel fairly quickly between stars. I mean, you know, you can come up with, you know, spacecraft that take, you know, a lifetime to get there. I mean, we're just, people are volunteering to go to Mars on a one-way trip. Well, if you're going to the nearest uh, planet around the nearest star, it's more than a one-way trip. It's, it's you're going to die on the way there. It's That's just the way it is. Um, but we also know that our sun is an average star, and there are stars that are older than our sun. Not just a hundred years older or a thousand years older, but a million years older. And if there's a, a planet around a star that's, let's say, only a hundred thousand years older than our sun, it's, it has a hundred thousand years head start, well, we have no idea what technology would look like uh, on a civilization that's uh, on that planet. Because, you know, the iPhone that you may have uh, in your pocket or your purse right now, you know, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have had a clue of, of how that iPhone would have worked. And you didn't communicate uh, in any form like that 50 years ago. 50 years from now, we're going to be so far beyond iPhones, the iPhone itself is going to be looked upon as, as some sort of a mystery. Well, just imagine how people communicate or will be communicating in 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. So I, even though the laws of physics won't change um, between now and, and 100,000 years from now, uh, the ways in which the physics can be applied and ways in which we can view the universe, uh, maybe there's shortcuts that we're unaware of, uh, I think that there probably is a way to travel between stars that we haven't figured out. And maybe that civilization that's on a planet uh, 50 light years away or something like that, or, or wherever it might be, um, has figured out how to travel between stars a, a lot easier than, than we can conceive. And if that's true, they might just have decided to come take a little look at Earth um, and uh, uh, and you know, what we're seeing in the sky might be that. Now, having said that, I don't see the proof. I don't see the evidence. I'm a, I'm a real doubting Thomas. Um, the, all the sightings that we have are really strange. They, they, you know, even the ones that we classify as unknown uh, are, are curious, but by themselves, they don't say that they were alien spacecraft. What we can say is that uh, there are a lot of cases that we can't explain, and there's a possibility that, you know, alien life might be visiting Earth. But we can't scientifically put the two together 
although it's a possibility. And I think that's that's where I uh, I have to uh, sit and rest my case that it's a, a definite possibility, but I don't see the proof. So, um, but do you think one might make a logical inference? In other words, if we agree that um, it's a craft, we might not know where it's from or who made it, and um, it's doing things that we can't currently do, and we've been seeing these sorts of side, documented sightings in the modern sense since the 40s. Um, would that be a reasonable, even though it's not a definitive proof, would that, wouldn't that be a reasonable inference, hey, that's not us? Well, it would if, it was, because everything if it was was our consistent. If all the, the spacecraft that, that uh, have been seen as UFOs looked exactly alike, um, and, and I mean, it, it's kind of a... Uh, uh, an argument that doesn't hold a lot of water necessarily because um, even all the, the cars on Earth don't look all alike. I mean, a, a Cadillac, Cadillac doesn't look a, a whole lot like a, like a Volkswagen Beetle, but they truck. all have four wheels. Right. Um, uh, some trailers have 18 wheels, but they all have wheels. Right. Um, and sometimes uh, the, the, the spacecraft that are reported by people do look saucer-shaped. Some are triangular, some are this, some are that. And then you get into the issue of, of the colors and the lights and why do UFOs have to have lights? They're certainly not complying with FAA regulations. Uh, it, it, I think, you know, there, it's a, a reasonable suggestion. I mean, it's a great hypothesis to say that some spacecraft are, uh, or some of the UFOs that are unexplained and unknown may be spacecraft from another planet. But we have to have, you know, I'd say you need 100 cases of uh, uh, people seeing the exact same object before you can say, yeah, that's the object that everybody's seeing, and that's the one that people are uh, are probably seeing that's from this particular planet. Until then, we have disparate reports from a lot of different witnesses, not saying that people aren't seeing them, they're certainly seeing something, but what it is uh, that they're seeing, I don't know. And I, I this is why I say we need some really good, uh, scientific investigation of of UFOs so that we can get this information so that uh, I can go to the scientific community and say this is what the UFO community has been gathering in terms of data and reports. This is why I think we have to take a, a closer look at uh, at the UFO phenomenon. What kind of visual... Uh... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking since we're getting uh, reports from the pilots and the military and you're getting reports now you've been getting reports directly from the pilots. What are they describing to you? And are well, they sanctioned? They are like here in America, we're sanctioned. Our pilots are sanctioned. They're saying don't leave a report, or you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. In other words. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, most of the time they're reporting lights, and and lights by themselves. I mean, that's the vast majority of of UFO reports. By the way, are simple lights in the sky. And that by them by itself doesn't you know automatically lend itself to saying that they're spacecraft. Uh, in fact, the number of cases in which actual structured craft uh, are seen is very very small. Um, uh, the vast majority are, are lights in the sky. Even the Phoenix lights are lights after all. <laughs> There's a few cases where. Uh, structured craft were seen, but the vast majority were just simply the lights. In fact, people could see see um, 
uh, you know, the spaces between uh, the individual lights as if there is nothing there. So uh, there, there's a lot of different types of cases, and the lights themselves don't suggest spacecraft. Um, what it does say is that maybe there's a, another type of phenomenon. Uh, there's a, a big push right now suggesting that the military uh, of, you know, United States or China or, or Russia or whoever um, are doing some tests on some really bizarre aircraft uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, devices for flying through the air, you know, the, the, the drones and all this sort of stuff. Um, maybe the, the investigation for these things or the studies of these things uh, by military have been going on for much longer than, than even we believe, uh, and that would certainly explain a lot of the, the cases that are, uh, are reported. So um, maybe we're not necessarily looking at a, at a extraterrestrial phenomena, but a terrestrial phenomena by... Uh, that's developed by some, you know, secret military applications or, a, you know, who knows, maybe Branson is something up his sleeve or, or something like that. So there's a number of different types of explanations, and uh, we can't rule out the possibility of a natural phenomenon either. I did a, a number of studies and papers on uh, the so-called earthquake lights and the tectonic strain theory where, uh, Earth energy can leap into the sky and be seen as, uh, as luminous lights moving around. Uh, there's a whole host of things that could be attributable to uh, some of the UFO cases. Uh, so I don't think there's one overarching explanation, but all of, the, of these uh, types of explanations deserve some study, and we just don't have enough good investigations, enough good research going on, uh, into all these types of phenomena to rule any of them out. You mentioned the Phoenix Lights. I find that a fascinating one. Um, I'm sure you must be aware of it, but the Phoenix Lights, I mean, uh, we call it the Phoenix Lights, but, I mean, um, that came because of the when the news was showing it back then. You know, they were showing the 10 o'clock when the Air Force did drop actual flares and you when saw yeah. lights. but. But it actually, the sighting started around 8, 8.15 when it was still daylight. Even Governor Fife um, then said that, you know, a lot of people saw a stru structure. It was, a, you know, a triangular delta-shaped sort of structure. They saw a three, uh, a, a tri triangle shape with lights and then t two others and going down, on, on two on each side going down. So a total of five, but in between you saw a whole structure, I mean, going about some say half a mile to a mile wide. I mean, um, that's what government, he's a former pilot. He says he's seen anything like it. And another person said they were, they were under the crowd for like five minutes just looking. It just hovered slowly, and then it flew off. Um, yes, yeah, I mean, there are, there are reports like that. There's also reports from people who saw the individual lights um, moving and didn't see the structure craft. That, that, it just, that was my point, because there's a, there's a whole series of... Um, uh, of witnesses who see one thing and of witnesses who see another thing, and uh, taken all together, there's no complete. There's no really complete picture. Um, the skeptics take a look at the. Uh, you know, they focus on the people who didn't see a structure and say it was all explained as flares. Right. The old believers look at the ones who saw the structure and say it was some sort of large craft. But if you look at the entire phenomenon, where you have both. Um, you can't come up with one particular explanation, but what you can say is there's a real phenomenon. Something is driving people to see things, 
that, according to science, shouldn't be there, and yet uh, the sightings continue. So I argue that regardless of what uh, we're talking about, whether we're talking about a, a, a physical phenomenon or a psychological and a sociological phenomenon, science should be taking a serious look at it. And so I, I adopt the, the middle ground. Um, and uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it is an uncomfortable place to be sometimes, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's just the, the way that I, I look at the entire thing. I mean, I've looked at, as I mentioned, over 25 years, 14,000 UFO reports up here in Canada. Right. And I can tell you that the vast majority are misidentifications. But of those, there's a small percentage that aren't planes and satellites and, you know, are of structured craft and and uh, things that people, you know, can't just attribute to flares and whatnot. But we have to get to that point where we're looking at, at uh, a lot of data. And, uh, you know, uh, the uh, United States, uh, there's uh, ten times as many UFO reports as in Canada. Uh, and yet we don't have the good statistical analysis that uh, we have up here in Canada or in a few other countries such as uh, France uh, and uh, Italy and, uh, and in Sweden. So uh, I think it's time that we uh, uh, you know, take a very good look at all the data and try and figure out what it is that people really are seeing so we can say this one is this characteristic and this one is that characteristic. Right, and, and concentrate perhaps on the good quality sightings or I suppose, you know, the credible witnesses instead of just... Absolutely, yeah. Because I know this, the skeptics and the skeptics, I mean, the debunkers, when they attacked the Phoenix lights, you know, well, the flares were in a different part of the state than the actual sighting of the original craft. The craft mm -hmm. took a different flight path than where the, the, um, the flares were at 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. Two different events at two different places and I think the the, skept, the the debunkers they talk about well there were a lot of witnesses that saw you know the lights well yeah the the the, the little lights those flares that was a different part it wasn't the same flight path as where the craft were and I think a lot of the the debunkers um, unfortunately forget and they they perpetuate that but no, oh, I, yeah, I, I mentioned the, this case up in the Yukon where the debunkers have just decided that uh, uh, this case could be explained by uh, the reentry of a of a, a Russian rocket booster, um, but they didn't talk to the witnesses. And when uh, Martin Jasek and a few others actually talked to the witnesses, uh, they don't describe anything like a rocket booster. So, <laughs> you know, it it depends on your perspective. It it really really does. And uh, and this is why I really want to get down to the uh, investigation. I'm a I'm a real strong advocate of actual case investigation. One thing that we haven't said is that out of all the thousands of cases, less than 1% um, of all UFO reports are adequately investigated. In other words, right. uh, we really don't know what people really are seeing because the cases aren't investigated. Somebody posting a report um, uh, on a UFO website or, uh, you know, putting a, U a YouTube video up um, anonymously or something like that, that really doesn't help science better understand the phenomenon because we don't have the information of when it was taken, uh, how, how the object really moved, what direction it was going, how far away the witness was. Uh, we don't really have a lot of the, the good information that would allow us to try and figure out if there were additional witnesses. 
is there a possible explanation? And uh, can we eliminate possible explanations by trying to figure out what else was in the area? In the vast majority of cases, we do not have that information. It's simply not done. I mean, MUFON is a, a great organization, and it trains a lot of UFO investigators, but it's simply, uh, its investigators simply cannot handle the huge number of cases that, uh, uh, that come in every year. Uh, I mean, in Canada, we have a, a 1,100 reports a year. Uh, in the United States, it's 10 times that amount. Uh, investigating in detail uh, 10,000 reports, that's uh, a, a lot of work. And uh, it's uh, very time-consuming, and uh, nobody gets paid to do it. So it's it's uh, a serious problem. It's uh, and uh, unfortunately, it it really is one of the greatest stumbling blocks in UFO uh, investigation today. I feel like that's intentional, though. I think that uh, whatever it is is uh, sometimes presenting itself, and other times just passing through. That the clear, distinct pictures are not. Uh, desirable if you're actually operating a clandestine uh, operation of whatever. What do you think the agenda is for uh, whatever they're doing? Well, that, and you know, sure, that's a good um, a good question. Um, I would have to say that uh, um, what we're seeing, if if what we're seeing is actually um, extraterrestrial spacecraft. The characteristics and the behavior and the types of reports we're getting are completely consistent with what I would expect to um, have as data if, um, I don't know, we were being studied by, uh, uh, you know, the, the Zeta Reticuli Anthropology uh, University College or something like that, where you have, where they're, it's like, you know, they're watching us from a duck blind and occasionally have to, go for lunch and have themselves be seen or something like that and we see them and we have no idea uh, what we're actually seeing because it's completely out of our experience and context um, uh, you know even the whole thing about the in, the abduction phenomenon uh, you know it's completely within uh, standard operating procedure of anthropology to take a few specimens examine them and, and send them back uh, so it's uh, it's very interesting to to see the types of reports that that are being made that um, that are consistent with uh, with us being under observation by someone uh, without any overt um, uh, communication. That's not to say that uh, there isn't any overt communication, but it's very con- confusing and consistent because the stories from abductees and contactees tend to contradict one another. So I would say that uh, that could be done on purpose as well to to confuse the issue so that nobody seems to get a handle on, on what really is going on. So I'd say that, uh, again, you know, if, if what we're seeing is extraterrestrial nature, it's completely in keeping in context with uh, one would expect from an from a observation platform of some sort. You raise a good point because, I mean, Nick Pope raised this once, I remember in an interview with Art Bell, that part of the problem with um, studying the UFO phenomenon, the abduction phenomenon, or just in, in general, UFOs in general, is that 
every nation is taking it as a national sort of approach. This should be taken in concert. Everybody should be, all the nations should be working together to figure that out. But here, you know, Canada's doing one thing, the U.S. has its own approach, and they're not sharing. I mean, ideally, you'd want the scientists from all over the world working together, okay, let's form an organization, and a worldwide organization, and let's figure this thing out. You know, you mentioned that in Canada, things seem to be more freer, which is great, but here in the U.S., as you all know, we we have the estimated situation in 48, then the Robertson panel in 53, and then a Condon report that came out in 68, and that just set the tone that this subject is not going to be dealt with, and it's going to be ridiculed um, in the public, and it still is um, in many cases. And so there's, in Project Blue Book, just fell apart. I mean, do you agree or disagree, or do you, what is your view, I mean, about should it be more international people working all together of the various organizations because everybody's got their own little thing just so, there's so many thousands and thousands of different organizations individuals and i don't think it's going to be solved that way what do you uh, think? yeah i have to agree that uh, the only way we can get to the bottom of this is through uh, uh, a real cooperation a real cooperative effort i mean there's there's trouble you know trying to get one country's uh, ufo investigations in line let alone uh, you know all the countries of the world I mean, I mentioned I, I had contacted uh, a number of organizations in Canada when I started out doing my Canadian UFO survey, trying to find out all the UFO data. Uh, I only got cooperation from about half of the uh, UFO organizations in Canada when I did this, uh, because some couldn't be bothered, some never kept the type of data that you kind of would need, and some just kept the, the information themselves and said, it's ours, it's our investigation, we're not going to give you our information. They were sort of very proprietary. Um, and, I mean, that's up in Canada. If you just try and imagine, you know, that, uh, you know, extrapolating throughout the United States, around North America, around the world, it's no wonder that it's so difficult. And part of the reason is that, um, you know, there's there's no real leader, international leader for uh, studying UFOs. I mean, at one time, one could argue that people like uh, J. Allen Hynek and Jacques Vallée and a, a few of the other uh, very, very prominent individuals um, were the ones kind of in charge of, of UFO investigation worldwide. Well, right now, that's, that's we're not the case. In fact, it's very, very fractured. No one speaks for ufology as a whole. Um, and there's no central repository. The closest thing that we can get, I think, is Peter Davenport's uh, site, which is fantastic. Uh, but um, most of the cases in there are, are actually never investigated. Um, Peter is very good with uh, and cooperating with uh, uh, researchers uh, who ask him for information. But uh, you know, all we have is a database of reports coming in, but uh, the actual case investigations are not there. So. Uh, you know, we're a bunch of civilians for the most part, uh, with a couple of exceptions like in France and so forth. But for the most part, it's just individuals who are unfunded, uh, unappreciated, uh, and simply doing this out of the kindness of, of their hearts for altruistic purposes. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's not the, the way to get to the root of the problem. There needs to be a concerted effort, a scientific worldwide effort, um, and, you know, maybe there's hope in that uh, Stan Friedman talks about, you know, if the aliens actually show up or we ever discover 
um, the possibility of, of aliens out there, you know, if we do find a planet that's like Earth and there's signals coming from it. And, you know, all of a sudden, uh, all those little dotted lines on maps don't mean anything. We're suddenly uh, an entire world. We're not this country versus that country. We've got a common, you know, I hate to say enemy, but we've got a common rival um, in our uh, solar system or, or our galaxy. And uh, that's the only way to unite everybody, I think, if there's a, uh, you know, an us versus them mentality. Until then, we're very, very fractured, and there's uh, uh, not as much progress can, that can be uh, accomplished. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate, but, uh, you know, that's human nature. I agree, because it seems like as uh, Americans, we have a, a fear that the men in black are going to stop us or the military is going to do something to us. We still have that old uh, uh, phobia about uh, being honest. And it seems like the other countries, Mexico, Canada, and many other countries are just coming out with it. I, like Russia, uh, they could probably not hold that, like the meteor they went through. It was, it was so amazing that we actually got to see it. If we didn't have a film of it, what would we be talking about it, we wouldn't be recognizing it. We might not recognize it for what it was. You know, it was well, a yeah, media, but we see it. Yeah, and in fact, there's one area right there where um, we probably should be doing more. Uh, there are studies uh, about near-Earth uh, orbiting asteroids. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, the suggestion that Earth is long overdue for an asteroid impact. Um, yeah. And we are. We're, we're badly overdue. Um, 150 years overdue. And uh, uh, there should be a, I mean, there is an international effort uh, right now in place to, uh, you know, try and track incoming asteroids. But our technology is still not sufficient uh, to warn us of uh, most of the incoming asteroids uh, and chunks of matter that, that might cause some serious damage. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, if the whole Earth was paying a little closer attention, because, you know, we could be talking about global extinction here, um, yeah. that, you know, at least there's something that we can all focus on together. And, you know, if you happen to be looking up into the sky looking for asteroids and chunks of comets that might, might be heading in our direction, maybe you'll see a, a spacecraft coming in <laughs> from, from Zeta Reticuli or somewhere else, because... You know, you need some very sophisticated telescopes and uh, detectors to, to watch for these objects coming in. So uh, maybe that's the way to do it, is to focus not on UFOs, but on something that will allow us to get information that would be useful for studying UFOs. Um, it's, uh, it's a roundabout way of getting to the, to the right answer, I suppose. I find that fascinating that you said that's a really interesting approach, and I do agree with you. I mean, I've always, I don't know how many decades, it frustrated me because uh, we are long overdue. I've, I come from a family that that were, you know, into sciences and stuff. I'm a philosopher, but people who worked in the sciences and stuff. And um, so, yeah, we are long overdue. And I was wondering, well, why aren't we doing something to, <laughs> to save our planet? <laughs> One step is to identify it coming over great, but what do we do about it? <laughs> that's that's exactly. the crucial thing. Once we do identify one coming our way, what do we do? And nobody's <laughs> yes, anything yeah. out. And but, I think that's where religion comes in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, faith. And now, that reminds me of Ronald Reagan. Now, he wanted to uh, sort of blow him out of the way. 
Well, you know, that that was renewed recently um, in uh, some of the discussions uh, by some of the scientific communities about, you know, what do you do if, if there is something coming our way. And I, I seem to recall uh, sometime over the past couple of months, uh, there was identification of a, of a near-Earth uh, grazing asteroid that's getting closer to us. And the suggestion is in something like, you know, 2045 or something like that, it's going to get... Uh, uh, halfway the distance between Earth and the Moon, um, and then the next one is going to be, you know, half again as close. And you know, the calculations aren't good enough to tell us whether that's going to be a problem or not. So, you know, there are uh, there are already some suggestions about what do you do. I mean, uh, as uh, in some of the movies with uh, was it Bruce Willis or I can't remember now some of the the movies about uh, Armageddon oh, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but they just you know thought about putting nuclear bombs on them and stuff, and I don't even know if that would be uh, if that would be technically feasible or not. But you know, it's it's time to start thinking in those terms because one of the uh, explanations for the classic question "Where are they?" meaning "Where are the aliens?" is that, uh, and I and to put this in context, uh, one of the troubling questions about UFOs and aliens is that, well, why why haven't they made themselves known completely and landed on the White House lawn? I mean, there's a lot of reasons they'd be shot down, for one thing, but, um, you know, why don't we have more overt communication? Um, if the universe is teeming with life and civilizations, why aren't we a regular stop on the, uh, you know, on the regular uh, space liner or something like that? Uh, and, you know, let's put the contactees uh, and the abductees aside for a second. Why don't we have regular contact with other civilizations in the galaxy? And one of the explanations that's been put forth is because um, the civilizations get to a point very much like ourselves and then are wiped out by a catastrophe. And what do you that's mean? why we don't... Pardon me? Um, what do you mean by that? Could you elaborate on that point? Well, um, the, such as the incoming asteroid that, that destroys life on Earth. You know, the dinosaurs got it, so you know, maybe we're going to be getting it too. Um, uh-huh. Maybe the sun goes nova or has a, uh, has a fluctuation of some sort. So, well, I... so, so that something happens that, that causes all life on Earth to, to fizzle out. And the suggestion is maybe that's happened to all those civilizations out there. They've reached a point where something, either of their own doing, let's say through a, a nuclear war, or through uh, you know an incoming asteroid or, or whatnot, that uh, life in the universe does get to at least to our point. We start to become space-faring civilization, but something happens along the way, and they're snuffed out almost as soon as they start developing uh, space travel. Uh, so that's one possible explanation. It's not not particularly optimistic, I don't think, but uh, it's one wow. possible explanation as to why the universe isn't teeming with spacecraft flying all over the place. Okay, this is what I, this is a scenario I put together in my head. Well, you know, as we're talking about this topic, what if we discover an inhabited planet? Uh, how we have approached this in the past is do a takeover as we're doing with our own planet, of, of we find people that have never had contact with us, and then we go in and we exploit whatever they have in there. Um, if it was turned the other way around, and we were the one that were going searching, 
uh, I just wonder how we feel about this whole thing. Because right now we're sort of on the receiving end instead of the doing end, you know what I mean? Right. Well, and for that I would uh, go into uh, um, uh, the realm of science fiction. And and, uh, there's a uh, wonderful book, uh, or actually a terrible book, in terms of what it means, but a wonderful book by Mary Doria Russell called The Sparrow. And uh, there actually is Sparrow? some... Uh, the Sparrow, yeah. There's, um, in fact, uh, Hollywood has, has attempted to film this book a couple of times. The last I heard was uh, they're having some trouble getting a script written or something like that. They actually had some, some big names in Hollywood slated to be in it. Um, but um, the story of The Sparrow, and it's, it's a popular theme in, in science fiction, uh, but in this one, uh, some signals are received from uh, a nearby uh, star, a planet around a nearby star, and uh, it does change things a little bit on, on Earth because it gives people a focus. And, uh, and a, a scientific research vessel is launched from Earth to investigate. And uh, uh, it's not a, a military uh, or government spacecraft. It's actually launched by the Vatican. Um, because there's a, a history, um, of course, as you know, that uh, Jesuit missionaries were the ones who did a lot of the exploration in the New World and um, in uh, uh, in North America. Uh, I shouldn't call it the New World, but that's that's the term that that has been uh, used history. by many people um, yeah. because the uh, indigenous people were here first, of course. But the Jesuit missionaries explored a lot of North America, and in doing so, carried scientific methodology. They were the ones who developed time zones, for example, um, uh, through the exploration of, uh, uh, of North America. They did, uh, you know, uh, calculations of, uh, of accurate timings of stars and so forth. So uh, it turns out that in this book, which is quite a realistic uh, possibility that the, the financiers of this spacecraft going to this other planet are actually religious in nature, and they are sent um, to investigate the signals coming from this planet around a nearby star um, and to ostensibly convert the creatures uh, who are, of course, you know, part of God's creation um, and uh, you know, to, to convert them to terrestrial religion. And uh, I won't give away the spoilers but except to say that the, uh, the mission ends rather badly. <laughs> oh. It uh, yeah, I found it. Imagine. I posted the link up to it in the chat, but it sounds like an excellent book, and uh, it's called The Sparrow by Mary D O I A. Mary Doria Russell. Yes, and it won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. It just sounds like a very strange book. It's a, it's uh, it's a, it's very fascinating to read. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you for recommending that. And, um, so I, we're not collaborating on this. Um, everybody's giving different uh, points of view on it. Um, have you have anything personal that uh, why you do this? I know that you're interested in, in the stars and everything else, but have you been personally contacted? Or I have seen a, a UFO close up, mm-hmm. and um, it, it did have an effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had a witness know, with me. And that's true of many, many people who are in the uh, the UFO field. But I've never, I've never seen anything. And I, I um, I've been out many times to um, so-called hotspots to see things. Mm-hmm. 
and I I haven't seen anything that you know that was, to me was a flying saucer or anything. Um, but I've been out many times, and I, I think there's a fascination with the the whole phenomenon. Um, but for me, I'm I'm interested in the the entire phenomenon uh, and why uh, it has such a profound effect on us. I mean, this is a topic that mm-hmm. you can you can go into you know, the local bar or restaurant or gas station, strike up a conversation and talk about UFOs or something that, you know, you may have seen. And everybody seems to have a story, you know. Well, I didn't see anything, mm-hmm. but my uncle saw something last week or, you know, this kid down the block. And, uh, you know, there's, it's something that, that everybody seems to have a story about. Plus, it's something that seems to really attract us to it. I mean, uh, philosophically and and uh, and maybe from a you know your, your program's paranormal and the sacred it's a, a really sacred quest for us to try and understand uh, where we come from in the universe is there uh, a creature like us somewhere out there that we can relate to who can share our experiences um, what is our destiny did we come from the stars there's a uh, uh, it used to be uh, that uh, a uh, astronomy theory called panspermia was laughed at that the possibility that uh, life originated elsewhere and came here from uh, uh, you know a different planet uh, but now that that theory is actually gaining ground surprisingly uh, among astronomers that we do come from the stars in one way or another and we have such an affinity even if it's not necessarily a direct connection with life but an affinity with the universe. I mean, a lot of people wear gold rings, for example. Well, the gold in the ring that you're wearing on your finger came from the inside of a supernova that exploded probably uh, several tens or hundreds of millions of years ago elsewhere in our galaxy and those, mole- those gold molecules eventually found their way uh, into the crust of the Earth where it was mined and, and put in a, a form that was melted down and put into a, f- a ring on your finger. But we have that connection. We are literally star stuff, as Carl Sagan uh, told us in the original Cosmos, and Neil deGrasse Tyson is telling us now in the new series of, of Cosmos, uh, that, that we really have this desire to understand what is our origin, where do we come from, and are we going back? And are we really alone? It's uh, it's something that touches all of us. And I think when we do tend to look up on a starry night, there's this profound feeling that we belong out there somewhere. That there has to be something more uh, than than this, than the, the simple, uh, you know, going to the grocery store to buy some milk and bread and cooking it up and watching TV and falling asleep and going to work the next morning. There has to be something more than that. There's a desire for meaning. And uh, the universe gives us this ability to explore and think about it. So we have uh, a lot of reasons to look up, and I think that's one reason why uh, there's an attraction to the paranormal, uh, specifically to UFOs in that sense, because it allows us to think about other creatures like us. Because if we can figure out uh, how other creatures might survive out there, we can think more about how we can survive here on this planet. And, you know, with all this talk about global warming and incoming asteroids, we're realizing that we're actually very fragile here on this planet Earth. 
Um, one of the illustrations that I give uh, when I'm giving talks in school is I get an apple. And, uh, you know, when you polish up an apple, you, you know, breathe on it a little bit, so there's a little film of moisture, and then you rub it on your shirt or whatever. That film of moisture on the skin of the apple relative to the size of the apple is the same thickness of our oceans and atmosphere relative to the size of our Earth. Mm. And look how easy it is to wipe it off when you rub it on your shirt. Mm-hmm. We are so fragile. Our ecosystem, our, our whole biological system here is so fragile. It can be so easily disturbed that uh, we have every right to look to the stars for some sort of salvation because we certainly seem to be making a mess of it down here. I mean, the aurora borealis, we all marvel at how we, meaning the general public, or how beautiful it is, but uh, as far as I understand it from a scientific or astronomical perspective, that's actually not a good thing, is it? No, it's actually, uh, you know, the solar particles, the solar wind interacting with the Earth, and if the Earth didn't have a magnetic field, we'd be toast, um, almost literally, actually. <laughs> wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, so it's actually a sign of, of danger. That That's what that signifies, the aurora borealis. Yeah, and of course astronauts uh, experience some intense uh, bouts of radiation when they go into space and have to have some protection. Um, I mean, we saw the movie Gravity, how fragile you know going into space is. Um, in real life, and that was one of the criticisms of the movie Gravity, in real life the movie would have been over within the first five minutes. Um, so uh, it's, it's much worse out there than uh, than Hollywood can present. <laughs> right. We have a, we have about 25 minutes left, uh, Chris. What would you like to bring up uh, that relates to this, or or to your other experiences, or or where you know um, where we could hear more of you, or uh, whatever you want to talk about. Okay. I have a million questions, but I I don't feel like I'm asking some of the right questions. I'm so curious about all the other things you're involved with, too. Well, you know, I can can show you and sort of bring it all together um, in that um, I remember when I was doing some investigations into some UFO reports up here in Canada uh, that... um, uh, you know, people were seeing some lights bobbing, moving, moving along the the, the sky uh, in the horizon. And I remember going on a, a dig, and one of the, it's called a dig in ufology, where um, you just sort of go into a, let's say, a county that you haven't been into before, and you just start talking with people at the gas station, at the post office, and and so forth, just saying, "Have you seen anything?" Have, you heard any interesting stories, and you'd be surprised how many interesting stories you get. And I remember I was going on a dig up here in Canada and uh, was trying to find out more about a UFO that may have been seen. And somebody had said, well, you know, I didn't see a UFO as such, but, you know, there's a spook light that haunts the, uh, the cemetery just outside of town. And I thought, well, you know, light, UFO, spook, saucer, you know, it's probably related. So I, you know, did some investigation and talked to some people who had seen that, and as soon as people had heard I was investigating ghosts, uh, they started coming to me with some stories of their own uh, involving 
uh, some haunted locations and uh, poltergeist activity and, you know, a whole realm of things. I remember going to one farmer and asking him if he had, you know, experienced any, you know, UFO sightings or anything out of the ordinary. And um, I had caught him in the middle of, the, of his yard. Uh, he was doing something in one of his fields. And uh, I sort of called to him from the road and uh, he came to the fence and we were talking a little bit. And he just said, no, there's nothing out of the ordinary here. You know, it's, it's just typical stuff. And I said, I, I thanked him and... Uh, uh, he turned away and pulled out his dowsing rods and continued to look for water. And I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, just a second. And uh, he proceeded to show me how his dowsing rods worked. And I started getting into a, you know, a, a different perspective that there's all these types of phenomena that may be related. In fact, um, one of the, the more remarkable ones was there, uh, there was a, a, a very large uh, UFO that was seen in one particular uh, farmyard by uh, all the people living in this particular area, and uh, I, you know, I talked with them for a while, and they were they're you know quite uh, fascinated with uh, the whole thing, and we're, we're glad somebody was investigating. Uh, and I remember just going down the road a little ways and talking to somebody, and said, "Well, yeah, but you didn't ask them about the Sasquatch, did you?" And I was surprised to find that the same night that the UFO was seen uh, just a matter of five miles away. Uh, a Bigfoot was seen uh, in a forested area not that far away. And it also happened to occur just a matter of five or ten miles away from the cemetery where the spook lights are being reported. So, I, you know, when I hear that there are these different kinds of phenomena all being reported in the same area, it's sort of natural to think that there might be relationship between them all and would that be more psychological is there a physical phenomenon that's giving rise to it one can hardly imagine that that uh, the sasquatch would be related to a flying saucer although admittedly i have i've seen some of the uh the uh, the articles and i i saw at least one uh, podcast uh, or one video cast uh, of somebody who does think that the Sasquatch uh, and Bigfoot are um, either aliens themselves or p- pets that the aliens let out now and then, or something to that effect. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know. you know, and then the ghost uh-huh, lights themselves. You know, is there a spiritual aspect? And I, you know, I've, I have quite a large uh, you know, book collection where we've looked at, where people look at the possibility that the uh, the aliens uh, are you know from a as they describe it, a physical, a different physical plane of reality and might be manifesting as spirits rather than as physical bodies. And that's why, uh, we, you know, we don't seem to have very many landing traces anymore because they're more spiritual than physical. And my scientific background sort of um, uh, has trouble with that. But at the same time, um, my curiosity allows me to speculate and uh, not to shut it out completely, that I want to know more, I want to talk to more and more people. So over the years, uh, I've uh, I've gone to seances, I've I've uh, investigated haunted houses, spent nights uh, inside some haunted buildings, I've gone on Sasquatch hunting expeditions, I've gone on boats looking for lake monsters up in some of Canada's uh, uh, very very large lakes up here. 
Um, and, and there's so many different types of phenomena that it's a it's such a rich field for for trying to understand our universe. So I think I'm getting a a really good appreciation of the you know the diversity of of our natural world and whether it's natural or unnatural. Uh, that's a that's a matter of opinion, I suppose. But it does it is very interesting to speak with uh, so many witnesses from so many different aspects and seeing some overlap. Uh, it really does, you know, make one uh, really have an appreciation for the diversity of our culture. That's I'm so not true. sure if that helps or not. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does because uh, it's uh, it, it actually makes me personally happy because uh, we're so diverse. There's uh, such a wealth of topic and uh, opinions and what people are seeing and some people aren't seeing. It's almost, uh, to me, not only like a, just a full-on drag, but uh, it seems almost like ignorance to turn your back on it all. You um, know, and yeah, say, I, oh, I think oh, so. We only it, believe in it, what's it, in front of our face. Yeah, uh, and I often say, you know, don't believe uh, the believers, but also be skeptical of the skeptics, because it's a personal experience that I, I think pe- people should be having. Um, you know, I would encourage people to to study uh, these types of phenomena on their own and come to their own conclusions. Don't believe me. Uh, you know, don't believe Stan Friedman and don't believe uh, the, the debunkers either. But, but, you know, try and, and get to your own understanding. I mean, scientifically, in all these other disparate phenomena, I know how unlikely it is that a Sasquatch could be tromping around northern Minnesota or, or, uh, or southern Canada or the Yakima you know, forest in Washington. Uh, and, but the possibility is there that there's a, uh, a creature or a strange phenomena that needs some investigation, and, and uh, you know, people are seeing something, and it's lending uh, itself to some really fantastic imagination. So I'd be curious in trying to solve the mystery as a detective, uh, if not as a scientist. And I know the unlikelihood of, of lake monsters and, and the Loch Ness monster and so forth, but, you know, I've spoken to a master angler who swore up and down that, He'd been fishing the lake for 30 or 40 years, and this thing was not a sturgeon or a moose or a, uh, or a giant catfish or anything. He, he saw a, you know, a, a Loch Ness-type monster up in a, in a Canadian lake. And what do you do with that type of phenomenon? What do you do uh, when uh, I've had a, an Air Force officer come to my office uh, and seek me out and t- say that he can't actually tell his commanding officer, but he thinks that he was abducted by aliens. Well, what do you do when a military officer comes to you with that type of story? Um, it's it's not a matter, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple enough to just dismiss it and say you're out of your mind, go away. But on the other hand, what would, what would make a military officer see something like that? And if it's not a real phenomenon, that's, that's cause for concern. But if there's a possibility that it's something very, very significant and unusual happened to that person, I think it's our duty um, as, I don't know, as altruists perhaps to, uh, to try and help the person and, and try and figure out what really was seen. And then, you know, uh, maybe there's some good science that can come out of it too. Maybe there's a, uh, uh, you know, some evidence that can be gained. Maybe there's, a, you know, some additional witnesses. It's the type of thing that I would really like to see you know, more people be involved with. I mean, MUFON uh, has been 
uh, talking about a, a you know a, the sort of uh, the graying of ufology where there's uh, you know a dearth of young people entering the you know the, the investigation uh, business <laughs> I suppose of UFOs as well as paranormal it's it's one thing to uh, to see it on TV but to actually do it and you know maybe we need more young people to get uh, turned on with a passion to try and understand and study the unknown because there's so much to learn. You know, there's a, there's a lot more to life than uh, having your head down, walking around, texting all the time. There's there's a universe up there, and maybe take a look up now and then. That's right. Sorry if oh. I got preachy there. <laughs> Are there um, other? Because some of the things that the debunkers say, you know, there's how come astronomers aren't talking about um, UFOs and stuff? But you're an astronomer. Do you have any colleagues or friends that are astronomers um, that? are serious about looking into other sorts of phenomena, UFOs or, or what have you, but they there, just, except they're just quiet about it because of the reputation or whatnot. Yeah, I, Alan Hynek used to call it the Invisible College, uh, and then Valet did as well, where there's, uh, you know, there, there's groups of individuals. I mean, I know there's a certain professors I, I can't talk to about this, and there's some that I can. Um, uh, and uh, it's just a matter of finding them. I mean, I... I went through uh, university um, in my astronomy uh, courses. Uh, one of my classmates was a fellow named Ian Shelton. And we were standing in the hallway one day uh, after class, and there was a, a poster for, you know, get a job in astronomy, uh, um, sort of being the, uh, the gopher at a small observatory in uh, northern Chile uh, for the summer, <laughs> you know, coming from Canada, going all the way to other side of the world to go to Chile, and I thought, ah, you know, I don't, I'm not really interested in that. And my friend Ian Shelton said, yeah, you know what, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to apply for the job. And he got the job, went down to northern Chile on top of a mountain, and spent the, uh, the a number of months there. Um, and one night he was walking between the observatory and the cabin, because uh, right on top of a mountain, there's not much there, between the observatory and the cabin, and he looked up into the sky and realized one of the stars was wrong. He's actually a much better astronomer than me, believe me. Um, but he, had, he knew uh, about the sky enough that he knew there was something wrong about one star in the entire sky. And he immediately um, uh, teletyped uh, the Smithsonian he had discovered the closest supernova to Earth, made the cover of Time magazine, and uh, he gave a talk up here in Canada um, about uh, two or three months ago talking about how UFOs should be studied more by science. So there are astronomers out there who are, are really quite open to the possibility, and there are some that aren't so open. But it depends on your perspective and, and uh, uh, I guess, your, your passion for what you believe in. Yeah. Um, so what do you think as far as um, when we're looking at UFOs, what can be learned by, at this point, it seems like we've been looking at sightings for, um, I don't know, if we go from the modern times, i.e. the 1940s, um, using 
quote-unquote modern technology. What have we learned so far? Did we have we learned anything since, let's say, I guess the since the the Battle of L.A. for instance, until the Battle of L.A. Yeah, yeah. Well, until now, well, what, what 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 can we say, or what can you say as far as what have we learned about UFOs in the sense that we're talking about in this program? Um, you know, uh, that's a very really good question, um, and what I would say is that. Uh, in the past 25 years that we've been collecting UFO data, we've noticed subtle changes. Um, we know that the classic flying saucer doesn't really get reported all that much anymore. We do have more triangles, um, and, but the most frequent shape of UFO right now is the sphere, the ball of light, uh, or a ball uh, object that's completely round. Uh, so the shapes have been changing. We know that most sightings have more than one witness. It's not just a matter of one person standing out and seeing something. It's a matter of two people seeing something, and one nudges the other one saying, hey, did you see that? We know from our studies that um, there is a population effect, that um, it's trees falling in the forest. The more population that you have in a particular area, the more UFO reports will be generated, but that there are some unusual trends that move around. Uh, so what we can say is that it's not a static phenomenon. It's an ongoing phenomenon. And there is a, a continual um, persistent um, percentage every year of cases that cannot be explained. Taken by themselves um, is not that significant. But you look over the course of 25 years, or if you go back to Battle of L.A. in the 40s, uh, going back uh, 75, 80 years, there's enough of a body of UFO cases out there that really tell us that it's a real phenomenon, that uh, we may not have all the answers, but that is largely because we don't actually have the resources to do some really good studies. We don't have the access to the equipment, to the, to the personnel, to the man hours, to the, you know, you name it. Um, so what we can say is, is that it's something that science should be studying, and it's baffling in its own way why science isn't studying it in, in more depth. So uh, I think we're, we're learning more about ourselves, more about our culture, more about how uh, information can be manipulated and uh, how uh, society itself can censor itself from... Uh, uh, taking an interest in uh, in types of phenomena that should be studied, so I, I think you know it's not any one particular thing. We don't know for sure that the aliens come from Beta Reticuli versus Beta Pictoris, for example, but we do know a lot about our universe and that there are planets out there much like Earth, and that the possibility of life, uh, very much like what's on Earth right now, does exist out there. The question is. Will we have the persistence? Will we have the patience? And will we have the, the ability to make definite that contact over the next number of years? And these are some of the questions that I think fall out of our study of UFOs. And it gives me some, uh, some hope. You know, I've been pessimistic talking about asteroids colliding with Earth and whatnot. Um, but it does give me some hope that uh, I, I think uh, just from speaking with individuals, uh, like yourselves, and uh, you know, having a chance to speak with your listening audience, 
um, and with my colleagues and and so forth, and then when I give lectures, uh, I I have this uh, the sense that's coming back that people really do want to know. Uh, it's not uh, just the complacency that's uh, been so manifest over the years. People are are really fascinated. We do live in the Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg generation, where you know we can visualize travel between the stars, where that was not possible 75 years ago. Now we can, and. Uh, uh, we can, you know, go to see some uh, some movies in the theater where travel between the stars seems so easy, and think of all the possibilities that can open up. So I I have of this, you know, this hope, a glimmer of hope, that uh, the future may be brighter than uh, it has been. I have the same hope, and I want to thank you for all your work and uh, taking the scholarly approach, and then stick your neck out on the, all these topics that are uh, very controversial, but but uh, they're they're more interesting than everything else. Think about it. I mean, it's just uh, something that you never get sick of, and uh, it's uh, it does give us hope that um, since everybody's experiencing this, that together, I feel like we're we're kind of waking up to it, you know, or getting used to it, or acclimated to it. So there's more talking about it. And, uh, true. and there, and there, people, uh, there are some yeah. uh, up-and-coming uh, uh, researchers like Claudette Hubert, who uh, you had on last uh, last week. Uh, who uh, you know, I'm I'm very impressed with that they have some determination and uh, they have this quest for uh, for wanting to know. And that's all you really need. And I think people like her uh, should be duplicated. <laughs> Forget about yeah, Orphan Black. We should uh, we should duplicate Claudette. That's right. <laughs> Which is awesome. I thank you for your research. Now, you can get a hold of Chris on Twitter at UFO. How do you say it, Chris? Ufology Research. Yes, on Twitter. And then you have your own blog, too. Do you want to give them the address? Yeah, it's um, uforum.blogspot.com. Thank you. And then we're going to get your book. Go ahead. There's a website also of. That um, Chris is involved in survey.canadianuforeport.com. Right, and that has all the information on all the cases in Canada over the past 25 years. That's a great site. I encourage anybody to go check it out. Yeah. Oh, so it's been a it's been a delight uh, speaking with you both, and uh, I wish you uh, both the best. Thank it was a pleasure you. To I wish meet you the best too. And and come on with any new findings if you have things going on up there and you want to have a. a a California collaboration of some kind. I'm I'm here and I'm willing. Hey, that'd be cool. We'll have like him calling like Peter Davenport to give us like a two minute UFO <laughs> report or something. Sure, I'll <laughs> take you up on that, as it were. Okay. You will anytime. Just let me know, okay? Okay. Okay. Bye, Chris. Thank you so much for tuning into our show tonight and being an awesome speaker. Thanks okay. So thank you so much. Take care. Okay, take care. Thanks. Okay. Good Bye. night. Bye. Bye. Um, so, Adrian, um, I had a three million questions, but I didn't seem to want to talk to him about UFOs. I think I wanted to ask him something else, but I could not formulate it. I what do you he mean? Was sitting on it. He's so interested. He's interested in many other far-reaching things, and I'm curious about. Um, I'm curious about. You know, as as human beings, 
experiencing all these various things because a lot of us uh, have found each other because we felt like we were at war at first, right? Like there were so many things happening to us, we had to go seek help. Right. That's, way, that's how that's how I found my way to Ciro. Uh, mm-hmm. That's an organization uh, led by Yvonne Smith that I have been able to get some personal help, and I've been a member there for 21 years. I've only in the last two years have come out about my experiences more publicly. And uh, just one thing led to another, and all of a sudden I was doing it. I didn't plan it. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just started doing it. So it has kind of an organic flow, and I don't know what's going to happen next either. But I feel like I'm on the right track. And I feel like uh, what, what Chris is doing and his methods is a lot like what you're doing. You have a part to play. You know, you have studied philosophy, you have studied music and all this, and it all works in for you to bring what you are forward to us and give us your ideas. I feel the same way about Chris. It's a, it's a strange feeling I have. I can't quite ask a question about it, though. Right. I mean, um, I think ultimately science is, it will play an important part in helping solve the UFO mystery, but not science alone. I think it'll be ufology in and of itself. It's, a, it's an interdisciplinary term, just like, you know, the term cognitive science. That's an interdisciplinary term. There's no such thing as a cognitive scientist as such, really, even though you see it. Someone says they're into cognitive science. Well, you could be a cognitive psychologist, a philosopher of mind, a neuroscientist. I mean, it's an interdisciplinary term. So ufology will need sociologists, biologists, astronomers, physicists, philosophers. Philosophers are really good at sorting out what is it that we know, how we know, and um, logical methodology, and also considering um, ethics and just our perception of things. For instance, we're talking about craft. Well, structured craft, well, why does a craft have to be really st- structured? Even we're building craft that are kind of changing shape as it flies. Why exactly. does it have to is it, Why can't it be a ball of light? Maybe it's a different... What we're seeing is a ball of light, but it could be a lot more inside. Inside, it could be just a causal effect. So I think um, philosophers and various disciplines of science can, can work um, together. I, I really do appreciate, after interviewing him, his cautious approach. In other words, it seems yeah, to me yeah. evidence is open to abduction, but he's just really cautious about, okay, well, I'm not going to take everybody's word for it. He just, he's like a cautious, he believes in it, but in a cautious sense. And I think I'm open to that sort of thing. I think we need some of the people like that, not just people, um, scientists saying, well, I don't even want to talk about abduction. He's open to it. He just seems to be cautious about it and even the UFO thing in general, but open enough to say, you know what, we need to investigate it, not just ignore it. Yeah, we certainly do. And, and I, I and see I, it as, you know those puzzles where you have 3,000, you know, a thousand piece of puzzle, when you, when you throw it down, you can't really tell what, from what, you know, what is this, you know, you start getting, okay, this color is similar to this color, and this dark spot is, you know, like when you put a puzzle together. And I and I had that vision in my mind that he's another part of the whole puzzle. We that because we're each working together, so to speak, but actually individually, we're processing our own experiences because most of us are having ongoing experiences because we're we're both experiencers. So yeah. uh, what I'm trying to get at is maybe we don't have an answer because it's not all filled in yet. 
like all the, the pieces are coming together. I can see a few pieces, but not all of it. So I, well, so I have like a question about the stuff that I can't quite put my finger on right now. Right. Maybe it'll come to you as we're because we're yeah. doing a little for the audience to it's not know. Not like I forgot it. I just hadn't thought of it yet. But for the audience that's to know, even though the show, to stay. <laughs> even though the show will be ending um, in in about six <laughs> minutes, we actually do continue to talk. So feel free to download the podcast. We, sometimes me and Charlene go over a half hour after the show. But it, so even though you won't hear it up live, you can hear it when you download the podcast. But correct me if I'm wrong, um, Charlene. Those who are listening over the phone or cell phones or computers, or which way they, can they still hear after the show ends? Or do they just have to download it? Uh, they stop hearing it, and but they can actually hear it when they play it in archives. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they'll stop hearing it. So let me make a couple of announcements then. Okay, go for it. Because you're up a good point. So okay. now, next week's guest, you know, everybody's talking about that con- the Conjuring, that movie. Well, yeah. there was five girls that, that were part of uh, this whole haunting in this 18th, 18th century farmhouse in Rhode Island. Anyway, the eldest of the five girls is going to be our guest next week. So that's oh, great. Going to be interesting. I know. That and then the other announcements are that the serial meeting is going to meet this Sunday, the 25th, at our secret location in the Huntington Beach area. Uh, then May 31st. Now, does, is that next Saturday? Let me see. Double check for you. Next Saturday. I think so. Anyway, in Culver City, California, Serial International presents Steve Allen, eyewitness yep. and researcher of the Stevensville lights. He actually experienced some of those lights. Uh, and it is at 7 p.m. to 30 p.m. at the Veterans Memorial Complex. That's 4117 Overland Avenue, Culver City, California, 90230, and 15 bucks at the door. And it's, if you go to the website, www.serointernational.com. And there's also a friend that's working on a movie about John Mack. And uh, you can uh, go to my Facebook and friend me there, Charlene Simpson McCain, or you can go to the Paranormal and the Sacred and put your name over there. And uh, she's uh, seeking support to do a movie about John Mack, and they have uh, some of the players and are picking out the actors. So it's a a big thing, and it's going to be uh, uh, the real deal, and I think it would be awesome. Don't you? He's a lovely man. He's he's why oh, yeah. I actually got help with Yvonne. I think um, John Mack deserves attention. I think um, some of these um, well ufologists in general um, cannot be forgotten because it, this is this discipline is not run like academia in the sense that you know things don't get passed along in a university. There's no library, so if somebody passes on, people forget about it because there's no institution of it as such in a classical sense. So uh, I'm glad that there's something coming out on John Mack. I hope people don't forget about Bud Hopkins, because Bud Hopkins, too, I think he was a fabulous sure. researcher. It was it wasn't for him. I mean, he really was a springboard for John Mack. Even John Mack dedicated his book, um, uh, Abductions, to, to, to Bud Hopkins. I hope someday there will be a, a documentary on him as well, because he was a phenomenal researcher. So, but I'm glad that there's something on the works as far as John Mack. I hope they do a great job on him. Yes, and uh, I'm going to say good night to the listeners. We're going to keep taping, and uh, please come back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, on the Paranormal and the Sacred. And I want to thank Adrian for being my illustrious co-host tonight. It's been uh, awesome. You always bring forth the scientific aspect, uh, which is well needed as somebody that's a clear thinker, because. Uh, 
I seem to be an emotional and curious thinker. I, I don't know, something like that. But anyway, uh, you're a good counterpoint, and I really appreciate your help and your work, Adrian. And Thank once you. again, tell them where to find you, Adrian. My website is ufophilosopher.com, and I also have a, have a Twitter handle at ufophilosopher. Thank you very much, and thank you all, and I wish you all a good night, and uh, come back next week. And thank you guys in chat. You're really the best kind of people. I think I have the most intelligent chat, chat in, in the world. Okay. Because I've been to others, and uh, I'm telling you, I can't make the heads or tail when anybody's talking about because usually it's kind of like recipes are in there and other things. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, so I, I have to ignore it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I mean, I, I thought it was. He raised that interesting point, like um, why um, Chris made an interesting point about um, you know why don't if if the universe is teeming with life, why aren't they landing here, making themselves more known? Um, well, first point is it could be teeming with life, but how advanced are they? <laughs> That's first point. Second. Um, I think I have a I think I have a reasonable explanation as to why I've, I've hit on it before because I go from a series of, of propositions and I think when one can that ufologists and especially philosophers of ufology you're getting to consider a certain set of propositions when investigating and then that is first we we agree that they're more intelligent than us proposition number two they're technologically superior to us three they their own interests are their primary concern. We can agree on that. And they owe us no allegiance, number four. Number five, they have good reason to avoid formal contact, um, or at least formal contact in a public sense. Why? Because they see us so violent. So, I mean, putting it all together, why would they want to re- reveal to us in a formal way? Um, there's no motivation to, I mean, if I was them, I wouldn't. You know, um, if the stuff that Bob Lazar says is true, that still supports my my theory because it's not an open contact, is it? <laughs> it's it's, it's right. done in the background, and if it is, I argue we need, to be, dark, we need to be very cautious. If that's actually true, what Bubbles are saying, that um, mm-hmm. they have contact, they're going to be deceitful for us because they should be. I would. They're more intelligent than us, more technology advanced. Like, no, we're not going to give you everything, but I wouldn't say that. You, I would lead them out. I'd lead the stupid earthlings on. Yeah, sure, we'll give you something, but you know, let me go, or whatever. Strike up some sort of deal, but be cautious because um, we are violent towards each other. Why wouldn't be, we be yeah. violent? Turn their technology against them. We turn our own technology against each other. So, I I am charitable to the extraterrestrials or aliens. If you think aliens in terms of others. So if you people kind of some will say, well, they're interdimensionals or this, we'll just say aliens, something that is others, not us. Um, they would be cautious. Um, and so they're not going to, I wouldn't land with, like, if, if I was their advisor, no, are you kidding me? Don't <laughs> the White House. Um, they're, they're a bunch of thugs, you know. They're, they're, well, like they're doing what they want to do, and they're not going to listen to us say no, because we do say no. We run, we scream, that's saying no. You know, when you have to freeze your partners so they won't get involved or, you know, because we, we, you know, we were at a secret thing doing something secret last night, so I can't say anything, but some of the stuff that we were talking about is that, you know, uh, everybody, you know, is looking at it from a different angle, so it's like a prism. 
So people are experienced similar, yet some totally off the wall and totally different stuff. And when your mate is like frozen there, I can't tell you how many times I turned around and looked at my husband and thought, why aren't you doing anything? Maybe he was thinking the same thing. I'm not doing anything. I'm frozen. You know, but he would never admit something like that. Well, were his eyes open when you were looking at him? No, was he okay. Look- I have a, a thing. This is okay. I'm going to say this right now, but I haven't said it yet. Like, um, I know that uh, I have had many babies. I call my, my space babies. Uh, there has been an adult that has showed up recently, and my reaction really disturbed me because I seem to, when I'm in this state of whatever they have me at, I am not thinking fluidly. I'm actually thinking a little compartment. So I saw uh, a son of mine recently, like last week. He was really tall. He had dark hair. He's not my my earth son. It's my, I don't know, what do we say, face son. Anyway, uh, he looked a little depressed. And... uh, I said, well, why is, they said that we want, they didn't say it, but they inferred or, or sent it to me somehow. Uh, he needs to talk to you. You know that I rejected him? I felt like he's an adult now. What does he need me for? Because if this whole thing has been about babies are growing up. I talk to them for intermittently. I see them as young adults. Now they're in school. You know, I've seen them grow up, but now I have adult ones. Now, this is a very peculiar problem, Adrian, that I'm telling you. They're adults, and they want to talk to me still. And I actually said, well, he's an adult. Why does he want to talk to me now? It's like I rejected the poor soul. I don't know. So you don't like him? No, it's not that I didn't like him. It's because I was thinking in terms of helping the babies grow up. You know, I keep thinking like in a little compartment, like, oh, that was that. This is now a new subject now but I didn't change fast enough. So you're saying is when your children want to talk to you about UFOs or whatever, you still see them as your babies instead of like, okay, well, they're adults now kind of thing. And that's why it's so difficult yeah, for you. I, 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 yeah, I was pretty shocked. That is, I do I understand it correctly? Sort of. But I, I'm, what I'm saying is I was shocked by seeing this grown-up person that still needed me as a mother. I oh, was shocked. Oh. See what I'm saying? And yeah, I rejected maybe the con- the converse, because I didn't... Yeah, the converse is too, to just like him. you see them as your child. Um, I, I knew mean, he was always... mine, but he's grown up, with, so what did he need me for? That's exactly what I said. And now, okay. and when I woke up, I went, I could see he looked dejected. He needed me, obviously. So why, why? You know, the, you know I, I'm, I have to really do some inner work so that I can open my mind and, and accept... If he's looking for love, he's an adult, I could talk to him. What's the big deal? But, see, I hadn't transferred my uh, conditioning of a lifetime to a new thing, right? You know, because it's all new now. Things are really new and weird and different, and new kinds of beings are showing up. And uh, it seemed to be escalating with me and my friend and her husband seeing the same stuff. We're getting all abducted together now. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, we're witnessing the same thing, having the same dreams, which is very peculiar. Because we talk like we're in the same dream, but then we're pointing out the colors of, oh, this is what it looked like. Yeah, there was this shade of blue and this. Like, two people don't talk about it like that unless they're, they're together and saw the same thing. Right? Right. 
So you have um, it's difficult for well, you to you. to see your 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 son trying to see you as your mom, even though because he's an adult. Yeah, I think that's always going to be the case. I mean, probably because you you you've indicated a, a while back um, that you know you had a hard life and you raised your mom because um, you were kind of like Ooh, the mom. What a point. And so the thing is, we all I still look at my mom as my mom, even though I'm approaching 50. But at the same time, as we grow older, I, even though I do see my mom as my mom, I also, at the same time I see her more as a, as a human being, or my, my dad when he was alive. As a, and when you really see them as human beings, you have a better appreciation of who they are as human beings. Yet at the same time, mm-hmm. we do like you know, um, the comfort of visiting the parents and stuff. There is that special bond because we came. There from is. The, that's what it is. So it might be difficult for you. I'm hypothesizing because you maybe haven't worked that that out for yourself because you were the parent. So maybe you never yeah, looked, and at, I, your, and like, haven't looked at your looked at your mom as a mom. That, and so now when yeah, your child, yeah, my is, mom, yeah, because yeah. my mother is is uh anyway. My mother does say thank you for all the prayers from everybody because. She is doing so well. It's, it's phenomenal. And uh, she wants to say thank you, by the way. And uh, anyway, um, but what I'm saying is is that maybe I thought, I don't know, I was it, it hit me out of left field. It surprised me. It would be like, like almost like you see it's so peculiar and I feel ashamed. Like there's a shame part of it because it's like you gave up a kid for adoption almost. And there it turns up on your doorstep. Yeah, isn't yeah. Isn't peculiar, Adrian? It's weird, that, isn't it? That is interesting. That's what it I'm is. saying. So that's what it feels like. I, I, I go, oh, I already thought I was done. But but no, I, it's like uh, my adopted kid came back on my face again. Well, you're always going to be the mom to a, to a certain point, even though they they learn to see you as a human being at the yeah, same time. I didn't know that. I I know that as a human, and that with my children, with my mother, with my grandchildren, I I do feel that way solidly. I really feel that way. But I did not know these relationships were going on in this other uh, existence yeah. at all. That's my point. I couldn't even get it out because it's so unfamiliar to me to even think like this. Yeah. Like I'm trying to talk about something that I've never experienced before. So I'm telling you, it's getting weird, Adrian. <laughs> um, it'll get better, but uh, they'll. I, mean, I don't think I've heard, um, ever heard anybody say just what I just said. I've never heard that in my life. You know, now that I'm dealing with the adults. Right, they're adults, yet they're still your your kids, and um, still my kids. Yeah, it's an interesting duality. Bizarre. I'm sure a lot of par- parents can can relate to what I'm sure on some level to what you're saying. Yeah, of course. It's, it's sort of a growth because now they're you see them as adults, but at the same time they see you as an adult, but they still see you as a mother figure. As mom, they know I'm their mother. Right. So right. I'm going to have to adjust to this new uh, playing field, I guess. So I was just I was just shocked, and I was uh, embarrassed by my behavior. My the way I felt uh, ashamed me. I felt ashamed when I woke up. Like why did I do that? You know, it was like that. Yeah. It's just a unique situ- I've been presented unique situations before in my dreams, and, the, and it has some sort of outcome like that, like off the wall, 
outcome. Like, why are you showing me that? You know? Right. Right. For people listening that have or experienced or have been abducted or anything else, it would be like, or haven't experienced that, it would be like the 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 uh, aliens or whatever they are that I that they put me in different scenarios and want me to work out a problem. They'll ask me certain questions. I have to give them answers. A lot of some of it's ethical, religious, every other kind of way. Yeah. You know, so this is I've been presented with a brand new dilemma. You know, it is a dilemma to me, but now I think I'm through it to talk about it. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stuff tied up with this. Um... It's so peculiar to me. It's so it's like you realize we're talking. We could be talking about a quantum level experience, Adrian. Is what I'm talking about. Being okay, so we okay. Let's put it this very, way. Let's put it this way. You know, I've never done acid way. in my whole life. I've never done acid in my whole life. I don't. I don't. I have never experimented with any hallucinogen. I don't like any of that crap. Uh, I never would. But what I'm talking about is like at the quantum level in a different dimension. I got to worry about them too. Um, <laughs> just think I got to worry my, about my kids in another level. You know, more kids but different levels now. Yeah, that's what exactly. it sounds like to me. Like, what the hell? You're, you're stuck. You're stuck with them for life, and but that's a good I'm thing. Stuck with them for that's, eternity called, at all different dimensions. Yeah, that's, it's called that's family. That's really bizarre for a mother. <laughs> you have a family. You know, family. so you're, you're stuck with them, and that's a good thing, though. Look at it as a positive thing. I will. I am. Be- I just panicked a little. That's all. <laughs> Yo, you're there for them, but at the same token, um, I'm there for you, kids. Wait, they'll I'm be sorry. there for you, as well. Yeah, just like you are that's right. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, you're so like you are. How are you are taking this information? Right for you. How are you taking this information I just gave you? Because um, I makes... couldn't even articulate that last night. There was no way I could even talk about it because it's too out there. No, I, I I get what you're saying. It's kind of like a side issue. How do you? How does? In, in my, if I understand you correctly, in other words, how do you deal with? Uh, um, your child, when your child is an adult, but that adult child still comes to you as a child in a manner of speaking, in the sense that they're... In a manner of speaking, in a manner of dimension. They don't want you to treat them as a child, but they still look to you as a, as a mother figure, too, in, in yes. a, on a different level, but still a mother figure. And that's always going to be like that. You know, you raised them. You, they came out of yeah. you. And so that's well, a they're probably looking for love still, and love goes on forever, and it really means you do. that. We... So not only because you know people that that are, do have religious leanings are going to have to think about this. Like, what if you have to love not only yours but all of their, all of it, all of the you know uh, entities, whatever you call them. I don't know what to say about this. I mean, oh, how should we love the, the quote-unquote aliens? Love them on different dimensions and uh, different uh, races of uh, humans. Yeah, well, we're still trying to... Non-humans. Uh, you're right. Um, well, I mean, if one is spiritual, um, then you have to think of yourself as a non-human as well. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Because... Um, I'll give you something to mull over so we don't get t- 
two top offers to get back to, I guess, UFOs, but I guess this is the paranormal and the sacred, right? So, but I guess mm-hmm. um, um, you believe that your consciousness can uh, just kind of follow me along. I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions. Yes, so I you am. believe that yeah. your consciousness continues after you, you die, correct? Correct. Yes. Do you believe that you can be reincarnated, correct? Yes. Um, do you believe do I? that you Do you? A lot of people do. I don't do. know. Okay, yeah, I well, don't know because just, I just don't follow have my information. logic. Let's just okay, follow I'll, I'll my logic for some new picture. So, do we do we believe, or those that are spiritual, many believe that also that um, when we reincarnate, can we get reincarnate as a, both a male or a female? Yes. Okay, so putting all that together, me. what does that mean? That what you are in the after, if you can come back as a male or a female, and your consciousness continues. That means when you're out of your body. To me, that suggests you're neither. You're not a human. Wow. You're you, a human when you're in thought. I kind of hinted at that when we were interviewing the, the, you, the ghost You runner. do. You're, you're on it. You're on it. So when, were you, when you're out you're of your body. You're really on to something here. What are you? You know, I'm sure we that's, have ghosts. That's a beautiful thing that you I'm just I wonder if these, that we see as ghosts if they're stuck because they still have the afterimage of when they were humans. You know, they, you see the apparitions with their clothes, their hair, eyes. But then when you talk to people who have near-death experiences, what, what do they usually say? They see them as energy, and then they, then they take shape so that way they, they're yes. more apprehendable to us. But they usually people say, yeah, there were balls of light or energy, and then all of a sudden they took shape. So they're not human. So when we get out of our body, we're not human. At least that's the way I see it, because I, I do believe that reincarnation can occur. I do believe that consciousness continues. So if that's – and I do believe that when, when reincarnation can reincarnate. I don't think everybody reincarnates. I think I see it kind of as, as water. When you see a stream of water, some, it goes to a certain des- destination. Some water evaporates. Um, there's a whole host of things that can water, and some water will come back. Mm-hmm. So I think depending how you lived your life depends where your soul goes. At least that's my view. And um, those that do come back reincarnate, some will say, well, you know, I was a man in a previous life or I was a woman. So what does that mean when you're not in the human body? You're neither. Um, or maybe a synthesis of both, sort of the yin and the yang, or just a, an energy, a neutral sort of energy. Who knows? But you're not definitely human, right? So um, love can exist. I mean, um, even those that, that see, say they see the light, you know, whether you call it God or the source or the one, the, the, something that's pantheistic or monistic, whatever, um, well, what, what is that? You know, it's not human either. You know, um, and yet you can love that, and you feel love from that. So, can we feel love for aliens? Sure, we can. Um, why not? Um, we just don't know what they are, <laughs> and why don't we know what they are? Because, because of because of them, not because of us. Yes, not because, exactly. Not, they're incompetence. They're they're quite competent because we're. What did we have the last to our discussion? You know, I mean. Yes. He's not even got um, Chris being a, a scientist. Like, well, yeah, we can inf- we can inf- hypothesize that these are extraterrestrials, but we don't know for sure. Well, why don't we know for sure? Because of our incompetence and because of their competence. So um, yes. I believe they're very competent. That we have conflicting story. They could clear it up really quick. They could land and say, "Here we are. This is who we are." Right. Let's, you know what I mean? But um, they're making sure we don't know who they are, and there might be good reasons. Maybe because they're using us as fuel, or because if they are manipulating us, if one prescribes to the theory that 
they've genetically engineered us. You know, we, we believe what Bob Lazar says or the ancient astronauts' theories. You know, they've been here for thousands of years and they've been altering our genetics for a while. Then that's good motivation for not telling us either, because could our ego handle that? I mean, thinking about it, like, oh yeah, I believe that. Oh yeah, yeah. But imagine if that was overtly like, yeah, we've been, we're here, and we're in charge. Okay, we've been manipulating you, and we're going to continue to do that. Have a nice day. You know what I mean? No, they're not going to people with that information. They're not going to make things look solid. You know, if we uh, have something uh, solid. So in either case, whether they're we, whether they're for our benefit. Well, whether or not, I don't know in terms of benefit or in terms of bad or good, but whether their intentions are good or their intentions are, or our intentions are what we, um, yeah, good or intentions are, are bad, either way, you know, um, they're going to be covert. Yes. They have because of our well, ego. I wouldn't like it. Okay, I mean, would so you like it? Like, yeah, we're, we're basically controlling your population and, um, you wouldn't want that. I mean, over, no, because we we especially we, as, we're, as we're too humans aware. that I know of, we cling to free will. Because we're you more know, we so, dramatically want free will. We're willing to die for it. That's Freedom. right. We're more self-aware than perhaps other animals, and we're self-aware enough to, if if they told us what they're doing, in either case, we wouldn't like it. In either case. Like, oh, yeah, we're using you for, for, for food and, or source of fuel. We're genetically harvesting you, and we really don't care about you, but you have stuff that we like. We like this planet, and sometimes we take stuff from you guys, and we're doing stuff with your genes, and you don't need to know why. And then on the other case, and so that would definitely piss a lot of people off, but if they yeah. said, oh, yeah, we do, we do care about you, and we're trying to alter genetically alter you, but we have to do it in this way. We can't do it in the way your scientists think, and so we're still working on it. We haven't perfected you because obviously you're destroying your own planet. We are, and so we're, we're working on making you guys. Pe- people wouldn't like that either because, like you said, the free will, like, hell no. We'll decide our own fate. We don't need you interfering in our in our. We don't want you to make and they would know that because we reject that. We reject per- perfection even. It's just, well, we so- reject... We don't reject Meaning perfect. Meaning perfect everything. It'll be all manipulating like, us. Yeah. Right. We want to be perfect, but we want to be perfect at our own accord, in our own volition. Yeah, in our own way of in a perception of perfection because we have another odd problem where one person's perfection is another person's disaster. So, you know, we, yeah, have a, we, 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 we all have we, a different soul, a different point of view. We it's can't agree on anything. Time. That's how, that's how um, um, stupid we still are. <laughs> I'm gonna use that to fucking oh, use that. Stupid. Don't that's agree on I anything. Guess I had to make I had to make my true alien confession because I'm telling you, I was ashamed because at a certain level, I, as a human being, know that I have to love them, wherever they are, and whoever they are, or whatever they are, or whatever dimension they're in. And that's a new concept because I always think, you know, does I haven't had just about enough? You know no, what I mean of of this, no, but obviously no. There's more to learn. You, right, there's more to learn. You can have to love them doesn't mean you have to love them now. All it means is be open to like, hey, if they're, in other words, don't don't go. Oh, I I hate them, but at the same time, you don't have to love them now. Just 
you can be you can be frustrated. That's okay. I mean, I'm frustrated. Yeah. You can be cautious because who knows what, what what they're up to, but just be open to it. Like I'm open to like okay, me you know, um, I don't like what's going on, but I don't. I try not to look at them as evil or good, but try to look at them as um, okay, they're intelligent beings. What does that mean if they're intelligent? And that's why I derive my five propositions. And what does mm-hmm. that mean in relation to us? What can we do about it? Because you can't blame their behavior towards it. If they are superior to us in, in various ways, they're going to behave towards us. It's not going to be an equal friendship. No, um, talk, if they've been with it us... Can't, it can't the, be. The we always American. look at it like Star Trek. Oh, they're going to come on. To the, why don't they introduce themselves? Well, they're not our equals. No. You know? Why would they? Well, they've so, been with us according to the people they It's not a comfortable feeling. And I think that, that's... A, I think if I... If I may, I think what you're you're struggling with is because you, you maybe subconscious you realize, wait a second, they're not our equals. They're going to do whatever they want. Yet, um, I can't hate them. You know what I mean? And maybe yeah, is that exactly. what you're struggling with? No, I was struggling with the, an agenda change that I thought I was thinking along a straight line. I was thinking, I I have these kids. I've done what I was supposed to do. And uh, they presented me with a child that I didn't recognize also, but he was an adult, but I knew he was mine. And then I have to further keep an open mind about loving loving them when I thought, I guess as long as they're babies and little children, I don't know how to say this. Am I... I could have because kept it in you're the realm of fantasy. I could have kept it in the realm of fantasy, maybe. You know what I mean? Oh yes, I have babies in space because I—that's the way I cope with it. So, but now I have adults. It's. Adults. I think maybe for women, because women seem to be presented with more of this. I could yes. be wrong, but as far as I've seen it so far, it seems to be women are tend to be more presented with the hybrid babies than the men. Um, it seems to be the case. Um, you hear, well, the only, one, one tends to hear stories of when men are seeing, you know, babies in incubators or whatever. But as far as like, oh, here's your child. To them. Yeah, um, it's probably worth thinking because me as a mother, I would be ashamed not to be attached to my child. And I think what happened was I was not attached to him for some reason at this time because he was old. He oh, okay, wasn't old. Just, he could have been in his twenties. See what I'm saying? So you're talking about the hybrid kid, correct? Yes, he was. The, he so the hybrid, me, though. So, yeah, the hybrid, that must be a very interesting feeling because in part exactly. it is you and in part it isn't you because it's a hybrid, yes. a transgenic exactly. being. Exactly. You put it together. So, what did you um, say it was? Did you call it transgenic? And, transgenic, did in you, other words, right. Um, did you say that? Yeah, transgenic. In other words, um, hmm. it's not something that's created by having two partners having sex, but... Um, but genetic, genetic, taking genetic material from both sides and artificially doing it. I guess I'm using it if I had to say it. So um, I think that's what it is. But in, in, a, in a general sense, it is hybrid because you're taking the best, you're taking both qualities and put it together. So in a very, in a general sense, I'll stick with the word hybrid. Um, it's not to confuse the issue because you're, you're okay. talking about 
So you say hybrid in a, in a general sense, not in a strict scientific sense, because I know scientists make a differentiation between what's hybrid and what's transgenic. But in a general sense, hybrid in that you're taking from two sides and making another. So, um, mm-hmm. so we'll just term. So, yeah, I mean, it must be an interesting feeling because, like, yeah, that's my child, but um, part of it's me, but part of it's not me, you know. And, um, right, and then I thought that part of the program was... I, Maybe I they're not. A... Another thing to consider is they they might not be so bio um, centric as we are. We're very bio centric in a sense that everything we do has to be human. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't care. They're like you know, let's just take whatever from different parts and let's make a different being. And maybe we can make ourselves evolve better. Or let's put things together. So, so yeah. what? If, we're, so what if? Let's say we're not a human being. I mean, there are, there are people that think that way now. There are some people, groups mm-hmm. of people, who um, think, you know, who cares? I, I want to be part robot, part something else, or people who believe in, you know, genetic manipulations. I'll, that fantasize, you know, I wish I could do different things to my body to make myself better. As long as I'm me, my consciousness, uh, who cares if I am, look like a traditional human, if I could well, have wings yeah, on like my... You, uh, yeah, because you, you mean body modifiers. Body modifiers, right. Yeah. And uh, but what if we did that on a genetic level? The body modifiers, yeah, I mean, we modify our environment all the time, and we're in part modifying ourselves with vitamins, the kind of foods we eat, agriculture mm-hmm. is modifying our mm-hmm. environment. Um, so we might take that thought of, and you see body modifications, as you've hinted out, I mean, when you get a tattoo, you get an earring, or even mm-hmm. wearing a ring, you're modifying your body, you're making yourself look different, mm-hmm. but even with clothes, we don't use clothes just for for warmth, for comfort, no. we use, it's a, there's a whole semiotics, semiotic music, yeah. certain types of clothes that you wear tells you who that person, well, that person's an officer, that person's a soldier, that person's a librarian, that person's, you know, looks like a computer nerd. I mean, we send off messages by the types of clothes we wear. Oh, that person's about to go hiking, or that person's about to go mm-hmm. swimming by virtue of the, the type right. kind of we're wearing. And so, um, but when you extend that, the modification, people will say, well, let's just keep on modding Mars. So let's, maybe we can give ourselves shots, and, or what the aliens are or maybe uh, uh, seemingly doing. Let's do stuff with our, let's genetically engineer ourselves and make. <laughs> Make ourselves different. Hey. People, a lot of people would have issues with that. You know, wait a second. Well, what do yeah. you? Let's make our heads a little bit bigger. So if our heads bigger, maybe our brains will go bigger. You know, I've wondered. Sometimes I've wondered, are scientists secretly doing that? Because maybe that's what the aliens did. Now they're in trouble, so they're going back to us. Who knows? Maybe maybe we're the original. Material, because I mean, they left. Now they're coming back because uh, they got a little too modified. And decided to come back and get more of the original DNA. I don't know. It could be any kind of scenario. I don't know. It could be, but I mean, I've wondered because one of the theories about why our brains are big as, as they are is because our jaw muscles are getting weaker because the jaw muscles go up t- towards the around the head and stuff. And so, as our jaws are getting smaller, the muscles are getting weaker, it allows the brain case to get bigger, whereas other animals, they have strong jaw muscles, and so it doesn't allow the brain case to get bigger. That's one of the hypotheses. How could you, yeah. how could one prove that? Why not just have a series of chimps, generations where you have them have weak jaw structure, so the, the brain case can get bigger and see if the chimps would get bigger mm-hmm. brains. And if they get bigger brains, that proves the theory, but at the same time, 
imagine having a chimp that has an IQ of a human, you know. Um, yeah, of course they, so yeah. That means by extension, we're to ourselves. So who knows what these aliens are doing? They might not be so biocentric like we are, where we have to be human. Maybe they don't care how they are, and that's why they don't have a problem if this hybrid thing is true, if the perceptions, if those aren't screen memories in themselves. Um, but if this hybrid thing is true, then um, that means they don't have a problem of mixing and matching their own genes with lower life forms to create something else. You know, it's kind of like Doc, Island of Dr. Moreau. Dr. I mean, Island of Dr. Moreau, I was just took, uh, The scientists took our genes and mixed it with the lower life forms, you know, with lions and apes and all sorts of animals. People would have a problem, like, what are you doing? You're creating a, a I monster. I was so mortified by that movie. It's horrible. I can't, I can't even watch it because I don't want to hear... What, are they, what is that one thing they say? The death room, or what do they say? Pregado, it's been years since I. I, well, I mean, that movie just. The name of that movie just occurred to me just as we were talking about room. it. I think we definitely dated ourselves. <laughs> not that torture room. <laughs> so we know that not movie. the ramp. Say what? <laughs> it's a we dated ourselves. Anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, that's essentially what they're doing in the sense of Dr. of Island Monroe, in a sense that they're taking lower life forms and combining their genes with the lower life forms genes, and they, don't, they seem not to have a problem with that. And then wh- why would they be doing that, you know? Are they trying yeah. to make it better? Or, or it's just, uh, we, and we just don't know. All we can say is, yeah, they're, they're here, and yeah, they're abducting us. And um, so I, I'm, very, I'm kind of like Chris in that sense, like our guest Chris mm-hmm. in that sense, where I believe in abduction strongly, but I'm very skeptical as far as, these various, especially people who call themselves con- contactees, I'm extremely skeptical, maybe I, to the point of even not, not that's in my opinion, like the stem mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the Iris cases with the Pleiadians. I mean, no, I, I just don't, especially with the, with the Pleiadians, I don't know why people still believe in that. Because I don't either. Much. I don't get it. I don't know what they're talking about. And it's I, proven wrong. I don't they, they, want to, I'm sorry, I don't want, it's, it's, it could be, my, uh, I don't know, because I, I just, uh, more power to everybody if you know what, what, what's going on with that. You know, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't know how you know that information. I don't know if it's on a birth certificate or somebody told you or what. I don't I don't understand. Right. Right. Well, I mean, um, the, the blonde lady that, you know, supposedly had a picture of, that was taken from a Dean Martin show. That's been proven, you know. I remember that. Yes, you know, know that's so the, the, the UFO really trash can like wife. These people don't Price. make stuff up because the stuff that we're talking about is odd enough. Exactly. You know? So, that, so that's, we don't really need to exaggerate or make things up. I mean, we're not exaggerating here. We know? don't. And we don't uh, need to exaggerate, and that. But that's what makes no. the problem to be people open for the abduction. Um, Phenomena, because it is a crazy thing. Because the natural question is, and, and I, I, I agree. It's like, why are they taking the same stuff over and over and over again? I don't know, but apparently they are. Why are they, you know, taking you and me even up to our adulthood? I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, it's also, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. But just because like, it doesn't make the sense, hospital, they come and do your blood work, you know, every couple hours sometimes. You know, so maybe up. that's how they're. <laughs> I call them vampires. Throughout the whole day, they'd be taking my blood. I know. So maybe that's why they take it so often. So they're, they're testing this and testing that, you know. We don't know why. Yeah, they, they, maybe they, they still could be studying, like, okay, how's this individual 
by looking at our blood work and our DNA, they can see the changes. You know, people say, well, our, our DNA ha- doesn't change, but actually it does, as, as we've talked about in past shows. The scientists yeah. have noticed that um, certain sorts of experiences we have, whether it's phobias or anxieties, they get passed along. So that means there's something experience does somehow, in a weird way, reside in our, our DNA. DNA is a memory when you think about it in a broad sense, because how does, when you look at all these embryos, they kind of all look this, very similar across mm-hmm. animals, yet they start to change when it gets bigger. I mean, DNA is a memory because uh, I, I have traits of both my parents. That's a memory. Of, uh, in mm-hmm. yes. so, You're right, and that's why I was seeing uh, all this like on a, on a level of... Uh, maybe you were felt violated. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe that's a part of it. You're seeing like, wait a second, that's part me, that's part something yeah. else. And you did it without I think my that permission. Is the reaction. I think that is the reaction because I don't feel that way now, and I'm sure I'm going to change now next time I see them because I didn't get a chance. I was surprised. So I think I was thinking, I thought, you know, because of, to me, I've mourned all, all the, the babies being not grown up with me. You know, I want them with me. And I thought that part was over so I don't have to think about it anymore when, they were presenting me again with another scenario, and it kind of flipped my wig there for a minute. Yeah, well, I've, that, well, I've adjusted. I've talked about it, so okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why why do they need so many babies from one individual? Yes, you know, just, I know, but you know, Jesse Long has the same problem. We were yeah, talking I mean, about it, and we were so upset that. I said, do you, he feels like I do. He's the only other man uh, man I've ever talked to about this. And he mm. he has a serious problem with it, and he calculates 45. And wow. mine's way up in a couple hundred, but his is 45. And we just come up with a random number, but it feels like right. You know, but uh, we can't, you know, I can't say for sure. I know it's a tremendous amount. Yeah, I can have literally one a month. Or whatever. So you're seeing part you, part human, and it yeah. was done without your permission. Too. Yeah. So it, 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 all those as things far as I know, I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up. You didn't for sign this, up but and I had to deal with it. And you used the good word surprise because I was surprised. What surprised me in my own abduction experience is like you know, okay, I'm ready for this. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to just remain rational. But boy, when you're when, you're, when you know you're going to be abducted, um, there is that abject fear. You just feel like, you know what, change my fear, mind, go surprise, away. Or during the, I, I'm always surprised at my own reaction of how fearful I am. I during, know, that's the other during thing. Like, wow, why am I, I'm just totally scared. And they're like, why am I so scared? And then once it's over, I think about it, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, I need to be more, more rational. Why, why am I so scared? But then when you're confronted with the actual thing right in front of you, you're you're mortified, and the only thing you're I can think mortified. of uh, the only reason I can think of why I am is okay. It's not human, and it's more intelligent than me. And maybe that deep instinct of fear, like uh oh, I should be scared, and, I, and then I am scared. Um, and so maybe I'm sure for you, that's to, what the poor animals must feel. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so you see, see what animals visibly, feel because you can see the sweat on their face and in their eyes of any kind of. Animal. Oh, when I I, rec- I rescued a, a lizard not uh, a m- couple months ago, and I remember when I when I out of the cat run and when I lifted him, I could visibly see fear in his face. He was scared, breathing hard, and he looked at me like you know, oh I hope I don't God. die. And I just, 
I just I was I acted calm. I was talking to him. Then I set him down. I let him go, and then he just screwed up. But I could literally see fear in the lizard's eyes, and also a bird. I did not know that. See, that's what I'm talking about. Is that you know they have all these these running of emotions and everything, but when you uh, look at fur-bearing creatures, they do show fear and pain and you know sorrow and depression. They, they we have such a big responsibility for each other and our animals. You know, we have to try to cut down the pain of the world. I think we're going back to loving on every different dimension and level, which I have to get used to doing. I'm so, I'm so old school, Adrian. I'm coming from the 50s. Right. You know, I was born in 52. So, you know, we were still winding up clocks or using nuclear clocks, whatever we're doing. But uh, I don't know what we're doing, but, you know, it's a... Uh, it's yeah. a whole different you world now, and I have to. Yep, I have to get used to this. I'm not. I guess it's. Uh, you know, I I now process through it. So thank you for listening, um, Adrian. Mm-hmm. It really helped me that. It was embarrassing well, I mean, I, to even talk about. It helps me too because I mean it's dealing with change. I think is the. Yes, it's change the again. This thing for all of us. You know, people say, "Well, change is good." Well. Not always, and then sometimes even if it might be good, it's just hard to wrap your brain around because maybe given our limited ability, I mean, even though I was helping, I'm sure when you saved animals before, and, and sometimes yeah. when I have to do take my cat to the vet, my cat gets terrified, but I'm I'm trying to you help do. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't understand that, you know, you later on... Yeah, I can he he's happy when I bring him home and he knows that I did something for him good and he rubs up against me and he's my cat's all yeah, happy. Yeah, they know it's okay again. It was okay, he did something good, but during that time, each time I take it, the cat doesn't want to do it. It's terrified. Um, yeah. So maybe that's that's my, so that's a change. He's dealing with change, and so maybe with, with, yeah. with this whole UFO phenomenon, it's some sort of change, but we have no idea whether it's even good or bad for us. No, we don't know. We don't know, you know, and I know some mm-hmm. will say, well, no, you know, what about this? And then they give these aliens and give these mixed signals. I mean, if we take the Maelstrom case, they show up. Um, yes. Various UFO, I mean, military bases, and they shut down our our nuclear weapons. Well, what does that yeah. mean? Are they telling us to disarm because nuclear weapons are bad? Or are they telling us to disarm, okay, they'll to make us think that, but they want us to uh, not to to mess around with nuclear stuff so we don't develop you know, fusion. Maybe that would have been that one, you know, couple of, I guess it happened to several rockets that day. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a couple of days, but maybe the generation I mean, of the nukes would have destroyed our world or just started something we couldn't pull back. That could be the case, you know, and so whatever, when they do communicate, it's so, um, in such a covert manner, that one can interpret, give various interpretations to the same event. And that's what makes it confusing, you know. So they, they do contact us in that rudimentary way. If you take a, you know, in a brain, and they, they know we see them from time to time, but, we, but it's just underdetermined. We just, we can drop so many different narratives to the same event, and it's just highly confusing. So, um but we do have I to think evolve. We just have to have increased coping skills and I think along a line of fluidity. I think you know, rather than the box or linear. And and out of the box and sometimes things work in in reverse. 
the better we get exactly. along with ourselves, I have a feeling the better we'll, we'll be up to dealing with whatever's doing yes. here on our planet. Because we're not even exactly. united, you know. And so we're, we're, right. not, we're not even united within our own self. So. No, we're, we're not going to figure out this. It's not going to... They're not going to show up and say this. I mean, I, I, I'm highly skeptical of it, that they're just showing like, yeah, here we are, and this is what we're doing. Um, because pe- people, some parts of the world would look at them still as demons, no matter what evidence they would yeah. say. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not you. We're, we're not evil. We're just aliens, and we're more advanced than you, and we've been doing this. I mean, um, so dealing with that change... Um, it's mm-hmm. easy to romanticize. Oh, yeah, we'd adapt to it. But when you're actually confronted with that on a conscious level, not just the memory or whatever, um, mm-hmm. we might be surprised by our own reaction. I know I'm constantly surprised by it, and I'm trying to get over it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm so surprised and guilty, but I feel like I'm not so guilty right now. I just, I, I'm getting over it. I just had to. Oh, don't feel learn. guilty because that's, a biz- that's bizarre. Really bizarre. <laughs> that's, I just feel that's, guilty. That's so out of our normal experience. I'm telling you how odd it was. It's just weird. It's a weird thing. I woke up guilty because, you know, I rejected somebody that was mine, but I'm not going to do that anymore, you know? I just was yeah. surprised and caught off guard. Well, yeah, because you you know that it's kind of yours and kind of not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of human, kind of not, you know? Is there and, a support um, group for this? Oh, yeah, we do go to one. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Why don't we talk to another Aliens Anonymous or whatever. you got to have codependency of an alien anonymous or whatever, whatever it is because it's actually, you know, increased tolerance, you know, incre- increased love and let go of, oh, well, never mind. Yeah, yeah. Think, uh, we do have yeah. to, in either case, we do have to, um, whether the UFO thing is a good, bad, good thing or a bad thing, it's a cause for us to start to... Evolve, in a good sense. Exactly. You know, to start to start getting. Um, it is. It's learning how to. Work. I think something. Sometimes things will work in in reverse. So that's why, even though I'm I'm very much into ufology and stuff, I very much worry about you know how is it that things are being progressed. We need to um, get along with our cultures, and we we need to change yeah, our way. Exactly. Of, we really really have to. I we think need that's to, dream was a call to me to operate on a more tolerant level, you know, just even more tolerant, learn more tolerance. Be tolerant, but not at the same time to let people, it's just this weird duality at the same time. Exactly. Walked all all over upon because some people will take advantage of that. They'll see the tolerance as an appeasement. It's a a weird thing. We we have a ways to go. I'm not sure how when will this happen because we we say you know a lot of us abductees oh yeah you know it's 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 coming it's it's coming to an end but what what does that mean coming to because that that's been going on since the 80s you know Carla Turner has been saying that yeah you know that's no, what I don't, abduct- I haven't thought, felt like it yeah, was coming what, to what, an what end. I feel like it's coming it's not doing anything I feel that's like I tell people I feel like we're going to have disasters natural disasters get ready you know what I mean? Just get pack some things that last a week or whatever. Don't hoard or help people, and we might have a different existence. But we're gonna in a hundred years, we're not gonna recognize anything around here, like you're talking about. It's just gonna be totally, totally different. So I think we have an inkling of it now. We're in the past. Maybe they didn't think like that. 
But now we are. We are thinking like that. We know there's going to be a dramatically different world. And we just have to prepare ourselves for whatever it is. Which earthquake was that a few years ago where it literally altered the tilting of our earth a little bit? Wasn't that something? Was that the one that was... I don't do, you, know. do you know which one I'm talking about? It happened a few years ago. You mean ago. the North Bridge, the big one? I forget. It was a few years ago where they had that tsunami, that really large tsunami. Um, oh, the tsunami. Uh, uh, that was uh, somewhere in Asia, I think. I forget. Yeah, that's it, terrible. Is that the one that it was so the earthquake was so powerful around that time that it literally changed? It was so powerful that it wiped out everything for thousands of miles. I mean, just. Their brains must have been, when they saw it coming, it must be a bizarre thing to see. It didn't yeah. matter how far inland they were. It just came and got them. And, but with know, the one, I think, yeah, it was caused by an earthquake, but there was a, I think it was during that time, but I know there was an earthquake that literally changed the tilt of our earth, and any little change is huge. You yeah. know, it's going to happen yeah, to where you're going, it. yeah. And um, Chris and is exactly must be inside of us, I think. Maybe it was a lesson to me, you know, it was a lesson to, there was a dramatic reason for it, you know, it changed me, so I'm going to accept, you know, accept the kids. Oh, you're going to, yeah. I'll, I can even I'll imagine because my, my I kids. don't, I don't have any conscious memory of anything like that. With me, everything, I just have a strong block when I thought mm-hmm. it was going to make a breakthrough when I was with Yvonne, I just started crying and yelled out in terror and I didn't want to my mind just might not be able to take it I I have a strong block so so all I can rely on is my my um, conscious memory so they they put a strong block on me maybe my brain did something to that too who knows maybe that's what they want because why would they use screen memories you know and so Mm -hmm. anyway I mean that that's an interesting thing maybe in the future um have a guest or something that that's going through what you're going through because that's an interesting topic. The dealing with being I have never even heard anybody talk about it, but maybe they just I could barely articulate it. How can you talk about something you can't even put on your tongue? You know, it's a very strange leap. Yeah. Either that or either that or I'm going totally crazy. Well, I mean, you're dealing with feelings of like I. I still think it's it's a case of you're being presented something that's part you and not you, and it's part that's human and not exactly you. And then they're presenting yeah. it to you like here, bond with it, and you're like, this is beyond my experience, you know. It's, yeah, it was beyond whatever I was. I and you were prepared. You said you even used the word. It was pie. unique. Yeah, you're like, wait a second, you know, maybe some subconscious part of you saw this like, this is an abomination, you shouldn't be doing this. And they did it without your permission. Ooh, he did, and he looked different from my other kids. The other ones were blonde. This one was dark hair, tall, thin, dark. The other ones are all blonde. And how old was he? Or was it a he or a she? About 20, a boy. Did he smile? No, he said... He didn't look right at me. And he looked sad? Yeah, he did look sad because of me. But he looked sad in the first place because he needed me. And then I didn't help him any, so he stayed sad. You know, I'll just do better in the future. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that got to be extremely... Wow. Yeah, I, I can see 
that's just an extremely emotional. It's emotional and it's very peculiar. Very. What are we really talking about? You know, because that's why it's so odd. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's just so odd. But but anyway. Yeah. So. Okay, I guess well, we've been, <laughs> we've been talking <laughs> minutes. Um, I hope the, um, the listeners will enjoy it. I know we, we both went kind of off the, the topic, but I think it's it's okay. Yeah, because we were talking about something we needed to talk about. So and I really appreciate everybody listening it. in. And, and you yeah, tell um, me if anything comes out of it, if you guys listen to it later and uh, maybe have a suggestion for me or something. I don't know, but all I know is I'm, I'm in it and I'm going to keep doing it. And I hope that um, as well um, that I provide some, it's a learning experience for me too. And I hope yes, it is. the listeners, uh, at least I give some food for thought. I know people aren't going to uh, agree with uh, some of the things, but at least I hope I give some food for thought. Um, you really do. You of, really do, because uh, uh, I really treasure your opinion. So. Me uh, too. I, yours as well. Thank you for the for the compliment. Thank you. And, um, so, um, so let's end this with uh, people can see your stuff at the, your Facebook page. You have two Facebook That's pages. That's right. The, can, go go yeah, ahead and talk. The Paranormal and the Sacred, and then Charlene Simpson McCain. You can friend me on there. And uh, Adrian, how can we get a hold of you? You can go to hold of me. Go to my website, ufophilosopher.com. I have an email address, Adrian at ufophilosopher.com, and I also have a Twitter at ufophilosopher. Thank you very much, and I wish you all a great uh, love in your life, that you get what you need, that you seek the comfort and get it, and uh, maybe all are going to be okay. Uh, Same with you. I hope your mom um, does better, and I know how hard that's lately. And um, for sharing your um, the abduction hybrid thing, because that's that's a lot to think about. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a difficult topic, too. Yeah, it's difficult we're going to carry on again. Because it's a you difficult take care. topic. And a lot of, a lot of t- tangent stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you take, take care, and, care. I'll, take care and uh, we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk in our internet later. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. Okay, bye. okay. bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I want to wish everybody a good night. Thank you for listening to our show after the show. God bless you and keep you in his arms and know that we're doing the best we can here and with what we got and the information we have and we're just telling the truth and and trying to live a good and upstanding life and uh, take care of ourselves too. So you take care of yourself. Love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.